Coming up on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show, would you rather have strength or light weight for your Jeep? Into a debate and it doesn't go the way you think it would. And are you inspecting your Jeep the right way? We'll have some considerations for the next time you crawl under the Jeep. And don't forget to share the Jeep Talk Show with your friends. Just tell them to go to jeeptalkshow.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Wendy. There will be body damage. Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Next, entire Rodian MTX tires feature an aggressive design that is extremely versatile for on- and off-road driving. Each tire boasts a dual sidewall design that allows you to customize the look of the tire on your vehicle. The Rodian MTX by Nexon also features a standard 3-ply design and F-load weight rating, which makes it extremely capable for heavy hauling, too. With such rugged traits, you wouldn't expect the Rodian MTX to be as quiet as it is on the highway, but... Thanks to its patented tread block design, the road noise has been minimized. Go check them out right now at NexentireUSA.com. You know, it doesn't matter if you uh, if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or different everything but Jeeps, this show's for you. Josh, Tammy, Wendy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about Jeeps. Jeeps. Hello, Jeeper. I'm Josh. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, California? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> this is Oregon calling. So we're going to have to ask you to go ahead and uh, blow your smoke somewhere else. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Time, time for a wall. Uh, smoking oh, and non-smoking. No. Oh, my gosh. Howdy, it's Wendy, and I love when a Black Diamond Trail gets saved from closure with some team effort, ingenuity, and muscle. Yeah, you can always set a fire, t- uh, Wendy. Hi, I'm Tony. Oh, and, Tony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Man, crossing some lines, too, I think. <laughs> if you display people, must, I think. You must be new to the show here. Message are, you you. New to, are you new to the show here, Josh? National Jeep News and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. Oh, and so it is, and it's so it turns out the Jeep can actually throw a curveball. What I mean by that is, historically speaking anyways, the concept photos that we see of upcoming Jeep vehicles are usually just that. They're artist renditions of what things might look like or could be. Or they come in the physical form like the ones we see every year at the Easter Jeep Safari. Jeeps so futuristic or purpose-built that you can't help but drool and daydream just looking at them. But deep down, we all know that they will just never, ever see the light of an assembly line in Ohio. So it came as quite a shock when just this week it was confirmed by head of Jeep himself, Jim Morrison, that the Jeep Grand Wagoneer concept that was revealed in early September offered more than just a sneak peek at an upcoming production vehicle. Well, two of them, technically. By his own words, what you see is pretty much what you'll be getting on the showroom floors. If you don't know, Jeep will soon be launching an all-new Grand Wagoneer along with a Wagoneer that is also based on the concept but will carry both name badges. But what will set them apart? That's what a lot of people are asking right now. I mean, comparatively, the Grand Cherokee is larger than the Cherokee, so, and it's always been that way, the distinction has always been very easy in that regard. Well, according to the head of Jeep himself, Jim Morrison said in a recent press release that in the Grand, in this case, will at least, will mean trim level, the more premium trim to be specific. 
Now, we now have confirmation from Jeep that both trim levels will be offered in standard and long wheelbase versions as well, just like the big SUVs from Ford and GM. This means that the Wagoneer will compete with the Ford Expedition and the Chevy Tahoe, while the Grand Wagoneer will match up against the Lincoln Navigator and Cadillac Escalade. Make sense? And it's really no comparison. I can honestly, I think I can hear the JD Power Awards getting engraved as we speak. Anyways, Morrison also said that the concept pictures released by Jeep represents the smaller model, not the longer wheelbase version, and is pretty much what you'll see when the vehicles go on sale. Save for uh, some of the extensive exterior lighting accents and a few other small design touches. We still have yet to hear exactly when we can expect to see these new Jeeps in dealerships or even when what the powertrains will be behind the grill. And just because I get great joy in doing so, I'm going to spoil it all for you Easter egg hunters right now. Speaking of the grill, the grill on the Wagoneer that is about to be released, it is canted at the exact same angle as the original Wagoneer grill was. There's one for you. The concept is also being billed as a plug-in hybrid, and multiple powertrain options are likely as well, along with three different four-wheel drive systems that will provide increasing levels of off-road capability. Are you anxious to see one for yourself? Well, so are we. As soon as they hit the showroom floors, we'll let you know. I don't know. I still think the price is going to uh, is going to keep me from being very interested in it. I mean, it's a Jeep. Yeah, it's interesting, to, you know, for a Jeep to come out, uh, but uh, I I can't see. I can't see myself in one of these things. I mean, um, it, you know, it sure would be nice if they when, when they did And I understand they're not. This isn't their goal, but it sure would be nice when they design things like this that it it would be something that a aftermarket off road support could be you know could come out for because it would be so cool to see one of these things lifted with thirty sevens and you know uh six inch lift and just well tony i'm gonna go ahead and ask you to pop in the wayback machine really quick and take a look back into the uh the late 90s when the grand cherokee was around and in its heyday uh and the xj was certainly uh seeing a lot of popularity as well the grand cherokee was the more luxurious version it had oh, yeah. a lot more bells and whistles it had the leather it had the bigger motors it had you know it had all of that just like what we're seeing here and, of course, back then, there really was hardly any aftermarket support for the Grand Cherokee. You certainly didn't have very many bumper options, and lift kits were few and far between, not to mention horrendously expensive. Uh, and so it wasn't until about fast forward to five, six years later when the aftermarket just blew up with the Grand Cherokee, and, and we saw a lot more aftermarket support. Now, give this 10 years, and I see the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer having plenty of aftermarket support, especially if they're really actually focusing on four-wheel drive options as well to make this a true Jeep off-road capable vehicle. Granted, it's still having the luxury lines that like the Grand Cherokee did back in its day. I, I kind of foresee the same sort of progression happening with this line. The uh, Wayback Machine, at least in 1998, said that the Grand Cherokee was $10,000 more than the XJ. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that was back when you were actually shopping for, uh, for a Jeep back then. And yeah. yes, you know, price is going to be a determining factor in this. I know a lot of the, the talk about price behind the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer lines has been you know, floating around that six-figure mark. And, and to be honest, I only see that really in the Grand Wagoneer and in the long wheelbase form. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that virtually every other trim is going to be underneath that six-figure mark. And when you look at in comparison with a fully loaded you know, Rubicon uh, 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 Gladiator you know, with a $60,000 mark uh, uh, price tag, 
Ah, uh, geez, you know, we can probably see seventy and eighty thousand dollar versions of the Grand Wagoneer coming in uh, as well, and and really not being that far out of line from the rest of the lineup as far as a price point goes. I don't know. Uh, that's the that's the cost of still a house. too rich for my blood. Still yeah. too rich for my Way blood. I, yeah, I, I, I agree yep, with you. I, agree. I, I remember hearing the World War II vets uh, talking about how they bought a house uh, when they came back home. They bought a house for. Uh, $5,000. And I thought to myself, my God, how many houses could you buy and rent out now for yeah. five grand a piece? Yeah. I mean, they weren't huge everybody's, houses. Everybody's houses. a landlord. And and interestingly enough, you can uh, get lift kits for them now. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a double wide, but you know. <laughs> All right. Does this picture trigger you? Let me describe what you're seeing. Mountain scenery. Lots of shrubs, bushes, and trees surround this wide pathway leading to what looks like a larger trail ahead with a trailhead marker and a signpost. So we have a mountain, some plants, a trail, a jeep, and a sign. What's the big deal, right? Well, honestly, if you're the person who even has triggers, we probably can't be friends. Ordinarily, I don't like to call people out. Ordinarily, I like to keep to myself or otherwise leave people to their own opinions and devices. Oh, sure, I like to give advice, and I'm definitely the kind of person that will lend a hand to somebody in need and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And yes, I've been known to get a little enthusiastic here on the show every now and again. <laughs> but when I came across this drivel of an article, I had to put my finger to the keyboard and draft a reply. The editorial, if it could even be considered as such, is a crying testament to the growing pussification of this nation by the exponential increase of people like the author, who are upset, disgusted, utterly offended, if not outraged by virtually anything that interrupts the world they've created inside their perfect little bubble. The sound of a dirt bike with the smell of a cheeseburger, a difference of opinion, a question of facts, or God forbid, an environmentally destructive Jeep Cherokee out in the wilderness. <gasps> I know. Clutch your pearls. Oh, the horror. For the most of us, this is a common sight. One might even go so far as to say that a Jeep, any Jeep for that matter, belongs out in nature and not shackled to the white and yellow stripes of the black top super slabs of the concrete jungle. But when this Zach Floss snowflake came prancing down his favorite skipping trail and saw a Jeep next to his protected wilderness trailhead, he about filled his romper right then and there. <laughs> This column goes on and on about the audacity and brash carelessness that seems to be on the rise with these Jeep owners. He cries and whines endlessly like his beloved nature has somehow been viciously raped in front of his very eyes by the mere sight of this vehicle in these protected lands. He can't even fathom or wrap his head around the fact that he is seeing a vehicle where he is seeing it. Seriously, there's like two paragraphs just on that. And endless wow. babbling, painting this picture of how if somebody isn't going to be doing something to stop these eco-hating villains, that the world as we know it will come crashing down on us in a fiery hell of gasoline tires and exhaust fumes. All because the Jeep owner, who just so happened to be a veteran, and I'm going to come back to that here in a second, drove <laughs> past a gate thinking it was an open trail. Now, I'm going to be the first to agree that, okay, yes, he was in the wrong and shouldn't have been there. Alcohol did not seem to be a factor, and since Captain Snowflake reported the Jeep owner <laughs> speaking with a ranger, we can assume that there was a degree of negligence in knowing how to read a trailhead marker. Okay, oh, fine. No. All that being said, who the hell does this columnist think he is coming out with a paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of righteous indignation over a simple, harmless accident involving little oversight and nothing else? But to insinuate that there was malice and intent behind this Jeep being up on a mountain on a trail that, by his own words, was big enough for an emergency vehicle, goes way beyond bad journalism and delves right into the realm of libel. 
Yes, the guy shouldn't have been there, but unlike the Jeep that was stuck on the top of a mountain on a bike trail, this involved much less ignorance and stupidity. Sure, there was some stupid to go around, but then to put it out, put it out there in, in what was such a gross display of lack of control over one has over their emotions, I'm surprised the Adirondack Daily Enterprise has not fired this Yahoo for this degree of gross unprofessionalism. I believe the term is making a mountain out of a molehill which is mm -hmm. the understatement of the year, as literally half the article is him bashing vets in one sentence using terms for the armed services of this nation, like insidious force of neo-colonial exploitation, but then in the very no. next sentence tries to save face by referring to them as staunch defenders of democracy and freedom around the world. I quote, But only under the context that they had sacrificed life and limb and mental health. He desperately backtracks by going on and on for another two or three paragraphs about the objectivity and the importance of seeing both sides of any story. Yeah, <laughs> sure, pal. Yeah. But we can read right. between the lines here pretty well. You're not fooling anybody. No. And if anybody wants this guy's email address to share a piece of your mind with him like I did, I'd be happy to give it to you. So uh, give me just a second. I am uh, copywriting. You're getting uh, the beep machine ready. Yeah, I'm, I know. There's going to be some edits on this one. I'm, I'm, sure. uh, I'm copywriting this. It's a great name for a, a serial that I'm thinking of. Captain Snowflake. <laughs> 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 I mean, you got frosting Gosh. there. It's And it's timely because the snowflake is being used a lot. So yep. I, I'm, I've, I've got that and I've got the domain as well. Captain Snowflake. To the rescue. Watch wow. out, Captain Crunch. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy that he just has to have a complete come apart and then put it in writing. And where's the editor for that paper or whatever oh, he seriously. was to call it? I, I, that he was he's, doing. They've got to be friends. I, I have no idea how, how something like this ended up in publication. It, it just boggles my mind uh, because, I mean, literally, I, 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 I didn't want to read it. But as I kept reading on, I was just like, oh, God, I've got to see this through the end till the end. Yeah. <laughs> what is this guy's name? This is, the, this is what they were wanting, Josh. They sucked you in. The, the yeah. indignant the indignation the of... The faster uh, one! Yes, ah! yes, exactly. <laughs> you know... Uh, Poor Josh. When you were, when you were uh, telling us this story, I thought about this, uh, this, this article that I saw. Somebody posted it up on Facebook. It's the only reason I saw it. Uh, there's a, I love this. There's a, a website called Motor Biscuit. Have you, have you heard of Motor Biscuit? No, no, no. What is it? I've heard of Disco Biscuits, but not Motor Biscuits. <laughs> but this one, they came out with a story. Peter Korn came out with a story, and I, I think that's a made-up name. The perfect, yeah. Jeep, the perfect Jeep Wrangler is 20 years old. Well, I don't know about that. I, but that's what I'm saying is because the, here's an article that the, the Jeep TJ is the best Jeep Wrangler that there is. It's 20 years old. There's not a, a better Wrangler since then. So they're doing the same thing. They're getting people's hackles up about, you know, oh, how dare you? My JK runs circles around, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, so it, it just, it, and by the way, I've reached out to him to get him on a, on here for an interview. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So Wait, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Or this other guy? <laughs> no, no, the uh, the guy who wrote the uh, the article about the perfect oh. Jeep Wrangler is twenty years old. Okay, but you guys good. can go over to Motor Biscuit and uh, and read this. It's uh, it's a pretty good yeah. read. It's not it's not long. There's no pictures, but just plow unlike through. what I had to go through earlier today, <laughs> which was not a good read at all. <laughs> but but it was great for us. <laughs> we got oh, to hear sure. a great Snow story. Snowflakes unite. Yeah, that's what this guy's doing. Snowflakes unite. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. <laughs> Oh, dear. 
Well, hey, if you've got a news tip or response to any one of our stories or would like to uh, shed some light on this one, uh, be sure to let us know by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how to reach out to us. And coming up later in the show, we've got an interview with Amy Garnett uh, with Corva, the California Off-Road Vehicle Association. Sounds like there might be some good news for us Jeepers up here in the Pacific Northwest. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. Hey, coming up in Tech Talk, the story of the illegitimate leaf spring. Oh, my goodness. I don't even want to know how that happened. <laughs> Something in the well, woods. Well, a mama spring and a daddy spring love each other. No. Something in the woods, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> hey, Jeep Talk Show. It's Steve from Iowa. Hey, just listen to this. Another great episode again. Thanks for some good product that you're telling us about. Uh, actually, funny story, the Hellwig, I had that on my 71 Camaro, and it does make it corner like it is on rails. So, I mean, nice. anybody who gets that sway bar is going to be a lucky feller. So, anyway, the phrase that pays is, oh, hell, I forgot what it was. <laughs> well, there you go. That's all it takes. No, really. We don't play with sway. That's what it is. So, if you guys uh, have a great day, and we will talk to you later. Have a good one. Oh. Well, it's nice. My day is certainly a lot better after hearing that voicemail. That was good. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great that Dave mentioned that because we're going to be uh, talking about who the the giveaway winner was uh, here just uh, in the show a little bit, and uh, that's a that's a great teaser for the for for you folks that are waiting to hear the rest of it. Don't press that fast forward to find it. You got to wait. What? Where's the noob? Noob. 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 Hey, noobie. Noobie. Noob. Nugget. It's time for Newbie Nuggets. Well, with so many trails shut down due to fires or Forest Service closing them for precautions, I figured if you needed something to do, why not do an inspection of your Jeep and make sure it's all ready to go when the trails open back up? Now, we've discussed uh, inspecting your Jeep after a trail run on Episode 436 and also Episode 443, but today I wanted to suggest a more thorough inspection. Not one on the trail, but in your driveway and with no time constraint. Now, since you can't do a run, why not inspect and really check out your Jeep? So here are the items my husband checks on our Jeep. Now, the more extreme runs dictate a more thorough inspection, so easy runs are not quite as detailed. And if you only drive fire roads or use your Jeep as your daily driver, then this list is for you. You want to check for visible leaks of any fluids. If your Jeep has been sitting, this should be an easy check. If there's fluid on the ground, you have an issue. If not, you may be in the clear. Now, leaks could be oil, coolant, power steering, fuel, brake fluid, or rodents that you may have run over last month. So next, you want to recheck your tire pressures. This sounds kind of like an obvious one, but you never know. When you air up at the end of a trail before hitting the highway, most people use a compressor. Now, compressing air heats and expands the air, plus the working compressor gets hot, further heating and expanding the air. If you inflate your tires to, let's say, 30 PSI, by the time you get home, it has cooled, and you may see lower pressures just due to the cooler air condensing and shrinking in volume, which equates to lower tire pressure. Now, also, this is not quite as critical, but it is for us up here in Big Bear. But if you were at an altitude when you aired up and drove down to sea level, or there are thousands of feet elevation change from beginning to end, that's it will point. affect your pressures. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, it is. And ambient air pressure and temperature affects the overall tire pressure. It's usually best to recheck the tires the morning after you return from a run once they've had a chance to uh, acclimate to your typical altitude and temperatures. But 
Now you just want to check it since the Jeep's been sitting. Now, if you generally run more extreme wheeling, you'll want to check the above list that I just mentioned and also add a few extra items. So besides tire pressure, check for other issues with your tires. If you were skating against rocks with low tire pressure, it may be possible to grind the rocks into grit that possibly end up between your wheel's rim and the beat of your tire. Now, this could create enough space for air to escape at a very slow rate. Kind of really annoying. Now, we also look for gouges, typically on the sidewalls, that may develop into a failure. If you aired your tires down properly, they should wrap around and absorb most sharp objects. But it's better to discover this in your driveway instead of your morning commute or your next run. Now, next, you want to look for mechanical failures or stresses. And Bill has found more things ready to fail by roaming underneath the Jeep on his back or on a creeper, which, by the way, is a great tool to use if you have enough ground clearance. Now, you want to also look at the shocks. Do they tear appear to be leaking? Are the shafts bent? Are the attachments loose or missing bolts? Maybe you bounced off a rock just enough to dent the housing, which is also not good. Now, while looking for leaks, if you still have stock differential covers and have been doing a little rock ballet, it's possible to peel back your diff cover just enough to cause a slow leak. Really annoying on your driveway or garage floor, but more importantly, if you run your diff dry, it'll be really expensive to fix. And of course, the while you're in there phrase always drives <laughs> the price and time off the trail way up. And a quick side note to all you new JL owners, it's a good idea to check your diff drain plugs because a lot of them are coming loose from the factory. Next, you want to take a look at the suspension components. Most times you can ride a rock with a lower control arm and it'll only scratch it. However, extreme flexing will really stress the rubber grommets at the ends of the control arms. Now, we had a kit that didn't come with upper control arms. So when we flex the stock upper control arms while rock crawling, the arms were used beyond their normal design duty. We had to replace the front upper control arm rear bushings at the frame a couple of times. And as we all know, anything loose in the front suspension on a Jeep gets really exciting at 40 to 50 miles an hour when the death wobble rears its ugly head. Well, that's why we finally went with <laughs> rock jock adjustable upper control arms with Johnny joints. Now these things are stout, they're fully adjustable billet control arms, and they allow us to adjust the caster on the front axle after lifting it four inches, which is a big advantage. Also, we haven't had a single issue with joint attachment failures. Now we'll talk about proper axle alignment in a future and upcoming episode. Now you also wanna check the ball joints, the tie rod ends, drag link ends, steering box slop or play. If you do enough off-roading, these items will eventually wear out, leading back to that dreaded death wobble. And another thing to look for is where the front drive shaft is closest to the automatic transmission as it extends from the front of the transfer case to the front axle pinion yoke. Now, I'm not sure about the later JKs or JLs, but the 2007 to 2011 have a clearance issue when slightly lifted and extreme flexing. When you flex your front axle, the drive shaft contacts the transmission. The first thing that happens is the drive shaft dust boot gets ripped off. Then the drive shaft will actually hit the transmission enough to peel the pan away from the body of the transmission. God. And next thing you know, you got a leak. So these can be remedied with the quality aftermarket drive shaft, like the one from JE Reel that we have sitting on the bench waiting for installation. So these are just a few of the things to look for. There are lots that can wear, loosen, bend, break, and leak. It's a machine and requires inspection and maintenance so that you get many, many miles and service out of it. You can't always depend on your local shop to find all these things in a typical service. Sometimes it's a cost issue, and it's not just a lube, oil, and filter. It takes someone with the knowledge of what to look for, and, th and that takes time. 
and time is money, so depending on your level of mechanical ability, you may want to save some money and do these inspections yourself. You can always take the Jeep into a mechanic and tell them what you found, rather than say, hey, can you inspect my Jeep and tell me if I have any issues that I need fixed? Yeah, that would cost you a bunch. So if you have mechanical abilities, I think it's a great idea to inspect your Jeep yourself. It costs less, and you begin to understand what's going on underneath your Jeep, and you may gain the knowledge and experience needed to help out a fellow Jeeper on the trail that didn't do their inspections before going back out on the trail. And you have time right now, so why not give it a try? Have fun, learn your vehicle, and prevent breakdowns. And don't forget that while you're in there, could be a fun way to upgrade. <laughs> so anything you guys would add? I know, Josh, you do your own inspections, and I know you do too, Tony. So anything else you guys would add while they're all sitting around waiting for trails to open? No, I mean, you, you really did cover a lot of the bases there. And I've always been, I mean, anybody who's been listening to the show for any long time knows that I'm a very big proponent for visual inspections and regular visual inspections on the Jeep because... Uh, honestly, you can't just, you know, trust that your Jeep is going to last or not take damage or something isn't going to go wrong, even if it is just your daily driver and you really don't wheel it that much. Uh, things can go wrong. Things do break. Things do wear out. And uh, and they can suddenly show themselves wearing out at the least opportune time. Uh, and, and so spotting them early uh, is really the way to go. And you can only do that with regular visual inspections uh, and looking for some of those warning signs like leaks, like shiny metal. Uh, like mm -hmm. dirt rubbed off in an area where, you know, hey, that's kind of weird. Why, why is it rubbed off right there? Uh, you know, it, that, that sort of stuff. It's those kind of things that are going to be those red flags that you're going to notice during a visual inspection um, that are, are going to be clear indications that you need to take care of something. Shiny metal is a really good thing to look for. I was just uh, showing my uh, uh, my oldest daughter that the other day. Uh, the uh, Somebody, when they changed the, the, the radiator out or, or took the radiator off, uh, mm -hmm. it's common, uh, at least uh, from what I've seen in a, a TJ where they don't put back all six bolts, three on each side. They, they, the ones at the bottom are kind of hard to get to, so they won't oh. put those in. Well, whenever somebody oh, worked on the 2005, they put <sighs> two bolts in the two top oh, ones. No. Yeah. And one of them came out. Oh, oh my God. So that's the, crazy. the whole radiator thing was, was sitting Just on the, the, the steering yeah. shaft. <laughs> And I saw this, this shiny metal on the steering shaft, and I went, that's weird. And then I yeah. look, looked at the radiator, and I went, that's not lining up. <laughs> that's really <laughs> that's weird. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, I had purchased no. some, uh, some uh, not nut certs, but those little nut strips, little uh, the ones that the, the, the Jeep and I guess other vehicles are famous for, where you, you put it in the hole, and then you, it's threaded. Uh, it has, it's like a clip. Mm. A nut yeah. clip or something. Oh, yeah. So right. I, I got those, and apparently I got the wrong size. It was a, bigger than what was on there, which was fine with me because it, it, I tightened the hell out of it. So now, anyway, that's on there. But I do need to make time to uh, get at least two more on there. But at least the radiator's being held up and uh, uh, not uh, riding on the uh, the steering shaft now. You know, what's funny is I was watching a, a video from, uh, from Nate, uh, Dirt Lifestyle. And uh, Josh, you'll you'll uh, you'll like this. They were out on a, a, a tough trail. I think they were in Oregon. They were out on in a really tough trail. And uh, this uh, YJ 500 horsepower engine uh, uh, on 42s, I think, just you know, 
this beef Ooh. and honking mo- monster. Yeah. They were oh, all. Slow down. They were all. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I need three minutes at least. So yeah. the, they, they, they all paused because they heard a rod knocking in Oop. this, oh, this yep. YJ. And they were, <clears throat> you know, trying to figure out where it was. They were getting up underneath it to hear where the, the noise was coming from. And somebody says, it sounds like it's coming from the transmission. And somebody says, it's definitely metal on metal. And if you've, if you've never experienced that, You'd never want to hear the the term from anybody. It sounds like metal on metal to me. Metal on metal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and and transmission in the same sentence. No, that, yeah, that is no. not Ooh. a good day. So do you know? So the, what it was was, and Josh, you know this. XJ owners know this so well. It was loose bolts between the flex plate and the torque converter. Oh, yep, there it is. <laughs> so my my long story there is basically before you head out to the trail. If you got on automatic transmission, you might want to check those bolts just to make sure they are nice and tight. Because, you know, who wants to work on the vehicle when you don't have to? It's very simple. And who wants to be scared shitless thinking you got a rod knocking out in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> well, now, yeah, that isn't as simple think. as, you know, per se, like something like a, uh, a, a, a wheel bearing uh, or a tie rod inspection. Uh, you're going to have to remove an inspection cover. Uh, that's going to re- involve uh, a couple of bolts that you have yeah. to remove in order to get that that inspection cover off of the uh, the bell housing, so that you can look in there and see the flywheel and look up into where you know the mounting points are, which are closer towards the center, not out towards the uh, the the, uh, the perimeter. Uh, and you're going to need a flashlight. You're going to need a long wrench to get up in there and and tighten those bolts uh, to uh, or to make sure that they're tightened, anyways. Um, so it's uh, certainly not something you want to do, uh, you know, in a muddy gravel. Uh, uh, staging area uh, versus uh, you know a nice dry driveway or in the in your garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those inspections that you definitely want to do. Not as easy as the rest, uh, but are is, is critically important. I mean, mm-hmm. could, could you imagine all those bolts coming out and then you you got no. this great sounding 500 horsepower engine revving? That's all you got. Go nowhere. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's going nowhere. So check the yeah. simple things like that, and it's something that you may not think of. Uh, this is a very common XJ thing about, you know, hey, is this a knocking noise? You'll see a video on the an XJ forum, and you go, you know, now check your check your flex plate pulse. And it's like, oh, thank God. And I know they were very happy whenever they tightened those things up. And you're never sure until you start the engine back up, you know, th- right. did it go away? Because um, I know it's a rod knock. It's, it's actually, it's very dis- disconcerting hearing that noise. Anyway, that, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, and the other thing is, is, is uh, lo- it might not be just a loose bolt on on those uh, those fly uh, flywheel uh, plates uh, there flex those plate. bolts mm-hmm. it, they, flex plate thank you it, it could be a, a cracked flex plate very as well. true yes um, that yep. is also just as common in, in those in those cases having stress fractures that are coming off uh, the flex plate mounting points and uh, and basically what is happening is that flex plate is is expanding. And uh, and moving around a little bit more than it should as the RPMs increase and 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 well that's that's why why you're getting that metal on metal noise. Yeah, I was just thinking that it was a good time if we're not you know wheeling and doing stuff to do that extra inspection of doing more depth than just a typical what we do when we come off of a run. Um, so it got me thinking because that's what Bill's been doing is trying to go through and double check things and he's found some stuff that's loose. So even though he checks it at the end of a trail. Um, before we, you know, head out and do something else, it's amazing how it does, you know, things come loose and you're just, you have to be aware of your Jeep underneath and then you can find them and hopefully save yourself money down the road. So how, how's it's all about that attention to detail. How's Bill doing? He's, uh, he's probably pretty sore right now, isn't he? 
from what underneath the jeep <laughs> putting on that uh, uh that rock jock axle onto uh don's jeep oh my gosh yeah no he picked he picked him up but no we're that's being done at the shop at all jay oh good good i, I no, saw are you kidding because you, you you can't lift those things They're too i know heavy. that's why i was thinking he was going to be in bad shape today i saw that no, picture that no. uh, don alexander put up and you I know, know what a what a life Don leads, you know. It's just, <laughs> oh here, here, look at look at this, jealous. look at this, so this curly rod jock on my my new JL. It's a twenty twenty, a twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think it's ooh, that's a good question. It might be a twenty. Yeah, the hero. So yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful picture. If you guys haven't seen it, uh, head over to I think I think he posted that up on the Jeep Talk Show group. Oh, oh, I think God, he did. That's sexy. You see it? You see it, yeah. Josh? Yeah. Oh, don't you wish they stayed looking like oh. that, though? Well, Man. it was funny because uh, they loaded it into the back of uh, Bill's work truck, and he's like, it felt like a big ton of sand back there. It was so, those two <laughs> things are so heavy. And you, as an individual, you can't lift them. They're, it's impossible. Well, it, you, it, you need extra help. It's, it's nice, too, that Bill didn't head for Mexico because I think I would have been, <laughs> let's, let's just go over to Mexico. They'll, they'll be mine, yeah. my precious. I, I, I actually think Don was with him, so I think that would be a little difficult to do that. Oh, he could have lost Don. <laughs> yeah. But Don, go get I me know. a taco. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be. It's gonna make for some good video coming up for sure. Oh yeah, Can't it's, wait to see it, how it it's neat. And if you guys haven't been following along, uh, Don Alexander, uh, the four one one YouTube channel, he's basically gotten a uh, JL twenty twenty JL, and they they took it out there on Gold Mountain, did some just the stock, took it out, did some wheeling on it, uh, and uh, talked about how how well it it works uh, off road. It was road. surprisingly well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stock. Well, it's it's what we tell everybody that a stock Jeep, it, you don't have it to will. do anything to a Jeep. You can just take it you right don't. off road if it's a That's proper right. Jeep. I mean, we're talking we're talking about the Wrangler here, of course. Yes, of course. So, um, but uh, and, and he's he's making these modifications to it, and then updating the video and 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 learning, uh, letting people learn what uh, what this stuff does for you. So, um, what's the, what did he do with the old? Is it was a Dana forty four? Was that the that was a front uh, a front axle or was it both front and rear axles that he's he, doing front and and rear on that? So the I think it had Dana forty four front and rear on it, didn't he? It, what, I think is, that's what it came with. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know what he's doing with those? I think somebody else is getting them. Oh, those <laughs> bastards! They already made arrangements. Yeah. See, this is what happens. Yeah. But anyway, happens. so so go out and go over there and check out the uh, the YouTube channel and uh, the uh, what is it again? I always mess up. Jeep four one one. It's Jeep four dash one dash one. If it yeah. was only on the show notes where I could read it, uh, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only that, Tony. I don't know. So I'm always and messing that up. Exactly. Yeah. Four dash one dash one. So there's I know there's it's dashes hard to say that too. fast. Yeah, yeah, it is. It just makes it easier to find it. But yeah, and, and for all you listeners, you know, reach out and let us know your newbie story. And if you have a topic, we're always looking for those ideas. Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? I love the show. I've been listening to you guys for free for, I don't know, years now. And I figure I'd time to give back. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. It'll just uh, help help the show out. And, and then in the end, it'll be Jeep Talk Show in my ear holes, you know? Just go to JeepTalkShow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. It'd be nice to give back to uh, so that you guys can continue on. Because if they love the show, then why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you give back just a little bit yep yep don't be a rat bastard go over there and uh, become a paid <laughs> subscriber today
He's just looking for more of those reviews is what's happening here. Yeah. This is where yeah. he has to put that in about wonder, every other show. I wonder if we're going to find somebody else that they just go, you know what? This is this is the Jeep podcast. I'm going to have a listen to this. I've never listened to a podcast before. You and, rat bastard. Oh, my and God. And you're calling them names. <laughs> Tony, we want listeners. Do not send them away. Snowflake alert. Snowflake alert. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, don't be a rat bastard. Go over there uh, to cheaptalkshow.com. Snowflake, here we come. Yep. And look, look for the big yellow subscribe button. So, <laughs> From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And I'm just calling to tell you it's... Been a pretty rough week. Uh, first, we'll find out that Tammy's D-ring wasn't really stolen. It was lost. <laughs> and after she tr- caught a two-year-old trying to steal her D-ring, that's kind of impressive. And then I find out Henry the Lo- Rooster has not been laying as many eggs as I hoped he would. Oh, no. And then I tried to uh, donate blood this week. And I'll tell you, I'll never do it again. It's too many questions. Like, whose blood is this? Where did you get it? Why is it in a five-gallon bucket? It's free blood. Just take it and be happy. Holy All right, crap. boys and girls, this is Nikki G, and I'll chat at you later. Are you threatening me? <laughs> wow. A bucket uh, of blood. Yeah, you have to uh, you have to chill that blood, Nikki G. You can't just walk around with it and have it on the seat next to you. Uh, just just put just putting the seatbelt on it so it didn't fall out isn't good enough. You got to chill it. It was the finger painting that got him. Is yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's good. All right, now we got some uh, some good news. Uh, no, no offense, Nikki G. We have some good news to report. We have a uh, the, we're going to announce the uh, the Hellwig uh, giveaway and uh, the uh, well. Let's listen to the voicemail first. Hey, JCS, Justin P here out of Web City again. Um, calling in to uh, say the phrase that pays: We don't play with sway. If I can't win a sway bar. I'm hoping to get a sticker. If you guys could uh, shoot me that address, I'd like to get you the uh, self-addressed stamped envelope. I like to stick one of those on my G2. All right. Again, phrase of pays. We don't play with sway. See ya. So if I understand this correctly, we can send him a sticker and then we can keep the sway bar. Oh, That's kind I of like the it. math that I was doing. Is that, I, is I that works is that, for me. Is, does sure. it make sense? Yeah, yeah so I, I think I think Justin P of Web City might disagree, but uh, I'm going Maybe. way out of the limb here. Yes, but there's three of us here to his one, so we're, we got to. Oh, cover true, it. true. Well, the yeah. thing, the thing, I'm I'm fine with you know us keeping the sway bar, but uh, I'm I just got to get an agreement that we can keep it at my house. So it'll be all of no, ours. I get the middle of it. We cut it into three <laughs> pieces. Wendy I gets one side. I, you get the other. I get the middle. <laughs> I see how this is going. Yeah, okay. there you go. So anyway, uh, this is uh, this is great. We really appreciate uh, Hellwig uh, making this uh, available to us. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. I didn't have time to look it up. But I've asked Justin for his uh, his his uh, mailing address before, so this isn't the first thing Justin's won from us, I, and I don't recall oh. what the other thing was. But Justin has he's going to be writing a book, how to know when to call in the voicemail to win from the Jeep Talk Show. It's a it's a, <laughs> it's a working title. <laughs> 
So if you recall, I think the I think the the elephant in the room here though is whether or not Justin P of Web City is a rat bastard or not <laughs> after winning so much from the Deep Talk Show. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking I was thinking about that too, Josh, and I think he is a paid subscriber. Uh, so yeah, I think I think so too. I yeah, I think I think I did time. see that name come up. Uh, but and if uh, he's not, I think he knows what he needs to do. <laughs> <laughs> Does it be? Are you are you insinuating that City. paid subscribers have a better chance of winning on the G no, Talk show? Because no, absolutely not. If okay. he's not a if he's a rat bastard, then no. Because that, that math goes right out the window. If that gets more people to be paid subscribers, I'm all for it. It's not true. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if you guys were if you guys recall, the the Hellwig was actually giving away six giveaways. They had the, the, the main one, the gift certificate for the, the, the one sway bar, but they also have the Hellwig health packs. And we haven't heard from everybody yet, but Jeremy M. from Greenwood, Indiana, Nate E. of, I wanted to say Columbia. What is that? Coma? Coloma. Coloma, Coloma uh, Michigan. Uh, and uh, Larry H. of Wentzville, Missouri, have uh, all won the Hellwig health packs, which I think is a mask and a couple other things, some hand hand wipes, some uh, some swag, if you will. And uh, but we have a total of five of those, and the the messages have gone out to all five of those uh, those winners. So uh, you keep an eye in the mail; you'll be seeing those very very soon. Again, from HellwigProducts.com. Mmm, sway bar flavored hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. You got tech questions? Ah, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. I just, I, it's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! Well, chances are the leaf springs in the back of your Jeep Cherokee XJ, if they're stock still, are sagging more than grandma's bra on a hot hot day. Obviously, replacing them is a more straightforward option, but buying new ones can definitely get expensive and may be out of reach for many XJ owners. The solution? Bastard packs, Franken-packs, or Franken-leafs. They all pretty much mean the same thing. Pieces of other leaf spring packs join together to create a whole new monster. All you got to do is head to a scrapyard and see what you can muster up. You can take a whole leaf pack from other Cherokees, or you can take springs from other vehicles, actually, and make stronger leaf packs. The Cherokee uses a two and a half inch wide leaf, which fortunately for you is a pretty common size. They're used on Jeep Comanches, uh, Dodge Dakotas and Durangos, uh, Ford Rangers, and even the Chevy S10. So there should be plenty of choices when it comes to the donor vehicles. Keep the main leaf from your Cherokee, but don't be afraid to throw the rest of it on out. The less difference in length between all the leaves, the more rigid the leaf pack will be as a whole. The more difference that you have in leaf lengths, you will get a lot more flex, but possibly less lift. Regardless of how you build the pack, you will see at least some degree of lift, unless you just rebuild it in stock form, in which case, well, you're going to end up with what you had to begin with. Otherwise, you can expect to see anywhere between two to three and a half inches of lift, depending on how you build the pack. And voila! For a fraction of the price of a, of a brand new leaf pack, you just built yourself a set of, well, new-to-you leafs ready to lift <laughs> or improve the back end of your Jeep Cherokee XJ. Very cool. You know, I'm thinking there's a, a bastard theme going on here tonight. Uh, <laughs> I knew he was going to pick up on that. <laughs> it's a bastard pack, the bastard rat bastards. and Rat uh, bastards. Oh, dear. <laughs> next thing you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino will come out with a movie with bastard in it, so... There you go. <laughs> that was a good movie. I enjoyed cool. that movie. I, I like all of his movies. For the most part. 
Yeah. Well, if you've got them. anything to add for Tech Talk, or maybe you have a question for Tech Talk, something that you would like for us to cover or jump onto, you just need to jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us a message. It comes straight to us, and who knows? It might just be the next topic we have on the next show. Hey, Jeep Talk Show. This is Jason. It's uh, 2.30 in the morning. I'm drunk, and I think I'll take my Jeep on a bicycle path. <laughs> But Tony said if I was drunk, he'd rather have me call in than drive down a bicycle path with my Jeep. So here I am calling in. Um, I got a little thing with uh, my wife who's listening to your podcast. We both were. And the new Jeep coming out later this year, the 80th uh, uh, celebration Jeep coming out. She said, hey, that would be kind of neat getting one. And I told her, I said, honestly... I don't think I would want a newer Jeep. Everything's electronic. I want to be able to work on my Jeep. It's kind of disappointing saying that, but I really don't think I'll go past purchasing, like, a JK. JK would be, like, the last model that I would get um, newer Jeep. Everything else from the XJ, TJ, YJ, Wagoneer, yeah, thumbs up. But getting anything newer with push-button start and... Who knows what they'll have the next generation Jeep. Everything will be push-button everything. So, yeah, it's sad to say, but I think I'm I'm kind of done with the Jeep brand. Um, after the, the JK, I'm, I'm kind of kind of frowny face at it. Not going any further. Other than that, Josh, I'm glad that everything worked out well with you. Glad that you're back, safe and sound. Uh, Tony, I'm still chugging away at those old uh, XJ Talk episodes getting up there. I don't even know what episode I'm on. And uh, one last thing, I really enjoyed the uh, the round table uh, a couple episodes ago. That was really neat. If you guys could do that once a month, you know, don't even have a topic, just yeah. kind of get everybody around and just start, you know, have a fire, crack some beer, and just start talking. Say, hey, what do you think of the new Wagoneer? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? That'd be kind of neat. Other than that, hope you guys are doing well. Bye. That's actually something that uh, Dan over at uh, the 4x4 podcast has done. Uh, he, he was using Hangouts. Oh, uh, we've, to, were, to we've do been talking like that. about doing that for years, long yeah. before Dan. Well, but I'm just saying that. I mean, just, he, I'm just saying he had, uh, he had some success with that, and it made for an interesting show. And uh, Josh was out for a second week, and I said, I don't want to do all this work. I know. I'll yeah. do a round table. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let, I'll let yeah, the Zoom remember people. Remember those days when we didn't want to write a show and we just decided to, you know, shoot the shoot the breeze? Yeah. <laughs> sure. So I thought, I said, uh, I, I checked with Wendy. I said, wait, Wendy, what do you think about it? Just having a round table. Yeah. Let's make the Zoom Good. people work for a change. <laughs> exactly. It worked out fine. It was kind of fun. It was. Uh, it was a nice change. And I was hoping that that's the way it would be, uh, that would be taken. We hadn't heard anything about the uh, the round table uh, episode, which is, uh, I think, two episodes back. Uh, if you guys are, yeah. uh, if, you get, if you've missed that and you want to go back and check it out. Uh, but uh, yeah, we just had the, the folks on from uh, the, the Zoom people, if you will, uh, that are in the Zoom chat. They're in the Zoom chat again uh, tonight. Uh, Travis keeps spinning his, uh, his, his phone around, so the video keeps changing. So no telling what's going on over there. Oh, no. I didn't want to need to see that, Travis. But uh, anyway, uh, but, uh, yeah, we may do that. I mean, uh, does that sound like a, a good idea to you guys? Maybe uh, yeah. once hey, uh, every couple months. I don't have something? to write a show once a month. <laughs> yeah. I'm fully on board. But but we can't do it every week, Josh. 
No, no, no. No, your stories are too funny. You know, we have to have those uh, those very well written stories. The indignation of uh, how dare somebody somebody have a thought that uh, disagrees with me. You know, Captain Snowflake. (laughs) Captain Snowflake. You know, I'm I'm picturing a uh, a uh, a Photoshop that I need to do for that with something Uh having to do with the Jeep Talk Show or something. Yep. Well, thanks, uh, Jason, for calling into the show, and thanks for the uh, the well wishes. Uh, everything has turned out relatively good. If we can just get uh, the rest of the smoke out of here, we'll do just fine. In episode 442, we spoke with Sean P. Holman of Motor Tram. I've raced the Baja 1000. I've been all over the world testing everything from you know Range Rovers to uh, to Ford trucks, everything in between. Just it's it's been an amazing journey. Sean just bought a new JL, but was it the right color? In gray, it, red was in the running. I just, and I told this to Mark Allen. I said, bring back flame red. Yes. I just, the firecracker is just a little too orangey for me. It, your, your argument is it wasn't red enough. 100% support that. <laughs> the Jeep Talk Show has well over 400 past episodes for your interview. Entertainment. Yeah, we got somebody to agree with Tony that there wasn't a red that was red enough. <laughs> God, you want to talk about a paid actor? There yeah, are, no there are exactly. many of them out there, but they they don't want to support the red because there's red haters, and they don't want to be put pushed down because of the people that are so adamant about you know we should have every color. It's every color is fine. The red is better, but every color is fine. We should respect all colors. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Hi, ho boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight we're going to have a uh, Jeep Talk Show interview alumni uh, that's uh, been on the show before for you kids that doesn't know what alumni means. Uh, we're going to be talking with Amy, and she is the managing managing director of California Off Road Association, celebrating 50 years of representing off roaders at all levels of government. Amy was the recipient of the 2019 Impact Award from the Off Road Motorsports Hall of Fame in the advocacy group. Or I'm sorry, in the advocacy category. Amy, thanks for being back with us. Uh, I'm glad you made some time to to come back, and uh, you accepted our invitation. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I, I love, uh, Tony, I love talking to you. You know that. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to educate people about what's going on. We call it land use. Um, I'm not sure why, but it's land use and government policy and legal all rolled into one. So um, I guess that's a good place to start with. Now, you're in California, obviously, and uh, you help uh, uh, not manage, but help. I speak for the little guy, the the off roaders, the the people that use the land, the trails, and whatnot in California, and uh, that's that's part of what uh, Corva does. Uh, is is that is well, that's a good place to start? What does Corva do? Corva works in the political, legal, and legislative arenas, but we also work with local land managers, whoever. Wherever there's an off-road opportunity, wherever there are trails, parks, whether it's county, city, uh, state, or federal, uh, where they're advocating for the for off-roading and off-roading recreation, off-road recreation. Sorry about that. Um, there's a lot of opportunity in California, and yet there's much less opportunity than there used to be. Where we've been successful at gaining some of it back, 
right now our biggest fights are actually uh, trying to protect what we have. So uh, basically, if you're in California and you like to do uh, go off-road, uh, like to use the uh, the California lands, this is that Corva is there to help protect your right to do that and and not be shut down or areas closed off. D- does uh, does California can Cal well can they yes. Does California actually shut down places for people to actually go whenever they're not in a, on a motorized vehicle, whether it be uh, a four by four, a side by side, or or just just walking on their feet? I mean, do you run into cases where they don't want people in there at all? I I mean, I ask that because it sometimes seems like California doesn't want people <laughs> in there sometimes. Well, it California is a very large state, and even though we have a lot shut down, we probably have one of the larger OHV systems, if not the largest besides Alaska, that exists, whether it's dirt roads or actual four-wheel drive trails. Um, of course, we have the Rubicon, we have the Fordyce Trail, a lot of other famous off-road trails, but there's also an awful lot of dirt roads, specifically in the desert. Uh, we have King of the Hammers that runs in, in a very large area called Johnson Valley. So there are many areas, but what you're talking about, I think, are land use designations like wilderness designations. And yes. in California, there's both state and federal wilderness designations. And, and I agree with you. I think wilderness designations, although they do allow people to hike, they don't allow any mechanized travel. And that includes bicycles, wheelchairs, My strollers, goodness. game cards. <laughs> Oh, no. So you would think, excluding all of those categories, if you have very young children, if you have a baby, if you're going hunting, you need a game cart to uh, carry out your game. And if you can't do that in wilderness, then what really is wilderness for? And I've had numerous wilderness advocates say to me that the goal of wilderness is to keep people out. They want to keep it for the animals, uh, for all the critters. And even though there is no science that actually says that it's advantageous to the animals. In fact, there is science that says that motorized vehicles uh, bother or or cause um, an animal to change its mating or behavior. Uh, It seems that humans on two legs most of the time um, actually cause much more harm to animals. Uh, they see us as prey. They're scared of us. Whereas a motorized vehicle, they have plenty of notice that, that the motorized vehicle is coming through and they just see it as another noise interruption. They don't see it as something that's actually bothering them. You know, the thing that gets me is California is all about being out front on uh, laws and pollution and uh, people and all that. But the thing hits me is you can't take a wheelchair. I mean, what about the handicapped people <laughs> that can't go and experience the outdoors in, in, in some parts of California? That one probably surprises me the most. Well, that's federal policy. That is oh. not state policy. So this is for all federal land throughout the United States. That makes more sense and then. <laughs> so Corva has actually had more than uh, one lawsuit that has challenged uh, the rights of disabled people to access land that is designated wilderness or wilderness study areas or wilderness, um, oh, there's there's all 
kinds oh, of sure. inventory, roadless areas. There are all kinds of different designations. But this goes back to the 1972 Wilderness Act and that was passed by Congress. So it was very well-meaning at the time. And this is what happens with a lot of laws. And I focus strictly on land use, so I'm, I'm referencing land use issues, mm -hmm. that they are well-meaning. But unfortunately, nobody thinks of the unintended consequences behind them. And the unintended consequences, which have been taken advantage of by environmental organizations, is that all the restrictions lead to large swaths of some of the most beautiful areas being off limits to large amounts of people. And really, to access a lot of wilderness areas, it's a very elitist sport. And I say that because you need very special equipment. Uh, for example, to hike long distances on, let's say, the Pacific Crest Trail or the John Muir Trail or any of the National Scenic Trails, you need expensive equipment that weighs very little because if you think about it, you can't really carry a whole lot on your back. Um, so it limits the amount of people who have access, which is what I love about off-roading. I love that everyone can access it. You can have a very inexpensive Jeep. Um, you can have an SUV. You can have a, a forerunner. You can have the top quality rock buggy. Mm -hmm. And everyone has some place to go. And when you're on the trail, people accept you for who you are, for, for the person you are, not the money that you have. Right. It has very little to do with that. It's just, uh, mm, yeah, I, it, this seems like somebody would have stood up even in 1972 and said, um, you know, like somebody had a grandma or something. And I mean, grandma not, may not be going out to the wilderness, but you don't want to remove that uh, that uh, right, if you will, from uh, to be able to go out and uh, uh, look at the beautiful country. So uh, as far as the... Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard about this or not, but... Uh, the uh, illustrious governor in uh, California, uh, I think, signed an executive order or is threatening to to uh, uh, not have any uh, uh, internal combustion uh, motorized vehicles in the state of California by 2035. Have you heard anything about this? Yes, I was just reading about that and thinking about how, again, he is given the benefit of the doubt. This is well-meaning uh, because... What we do have to acknowledge in the off-road community is that conditions constantly change. And we're in a cycle right now where it is heating up. We've had, uh, I live in Sacramento, and we've had a lot of 110, 111, 112 degree days this summer, which is unusual. Um, because of that, it has exacerbated conditions with the fires. We've had a lot of very dry, very hot, and windy conditions. We've had dry lightning. This is the climate cycle we're in right now. We don't know when it will end uh, or when it will change, but climate always changes. Yep. He is reacting to the current conditions. Oh. It's aspirational at best because can it really happen? No. So we'll give him the benefit of the... Um, sort of political play uh, of what it is. Mm -hmm. I think I understand um, what you're saying. It's like 
uh, people uh, that are sweating out there because it's so hot and because of, especially because of the fires, they're looking at government going, do something. And yes. then the government says, oh, hey, let's fix global warming. Let's get rid of the internal combustion engines. <laughs> so I, I, I think I see the direction you're going. I didn't even consider that. I mean, it sounds so nonsensical uh, just uh, on the surface whenever you read it. But, of course, that is the political animal. Let's, uh, let's do something that uh, doesn't really uh, mean anything, but at least I can point to it and say I, I did something about it. So, um, but, and that's my take on it. It doesn't have to be yours. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. Actually. It's the same way I view it. You have to learn to separate, um, people, you have to learn to separate actions that are actually doable from aspirational and the way Corva works and the way we try to influence legislation, we write legislation at times we file lawsuits you have to learn to differentiate when a politician says, you know, this is what I'm doing or a governor um, like this creates this rule that really can't be implemented because if you think about interstate travel and commerce, um, that would be very difficult. And plus what it would do to the economy. What he's really pushing companies to do, and, and this is a very different thing, is become more fuel efficient. That's not a bad thing. No, not necessarily. It just you know, depends we can on. You use more fuel if, efficient cars. Well, no, that but I'm hurt. sorry. The Jeep is not a fuel efficient vehicle. It never will be. No. <laughs> no, it's not. But if there is a way using science to make it perform the same way and be more fuel efficient, well, let's look into it and see if it's possible. Electric vehicles have become a lot more popular. There are not really any viable four-wheel drive electric vehicles but there are four-wheel uh there are motorcycles that are electric Mm -hmm. and they have improved the technology quite a bit um i have friends that are proponents and uh so they in the motorcycle world they are moving forward with this and so we'll see what happens you know 15 years is not a lot of time and uh, for example they were supposed to decommission a few of the older power plants, but we had a problem where the renewable energy plants weren't producing enough electricity when we had heat waves. And all of a sudden, Governor Newsom pushed back the dates that they were going to decommission these older power plants. Well, thank God for that. I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the, the trend, but it, it seems to me that they just go full bore uh, with uh, Ill- illogical things from time to time. So. Uh, yeah, right. I don't, so uh, it works its way out. So we're not, yeah. we can get annoyed with it, but we're going to not take that seriously because there are much greater th- threats. And actually I feel like we have to address the fire situation in California. Oh, please do. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. People that I know that have lost, um, some have lost homes, others have just lost property. But what happened, which was very, very unusual is that the forest service closed all 18 forests in California for about a two-week period to all access. So the forests, our national forests, which are always open, were all closed in California. And part of that was because they needed access for the emergency vehicles. Almost every forest had at least one fire in it. Some of them are still burning. Mm -hmm. Others were smaller fires. Uh, But So they needed unimpeded access for the emergency vehicles, but also because people were acting in irresponsible uh, ways. 
And I say that because this extended sort of pandemic period has closed other opportunities or movie theaters, bowling alleys, other ways that people would recreate during the summer months. Everyone headed outdoors. Everyone has headed to oh, public land. Let's get outside. I'm, I'm tired of this. Right. Yep. Which is great. We love public land. The problem is they don't know how to use public land. They don't know how to be good stewards of the land. In the off-road community, we grow up with this. We know how to do this. We pack it in. We pack it out. We understand the tread lightly principles. It is brought home at every event, at our club meetings. Uh, we see it online all the time. And we're proud of the way that we use the land and protect the land. The new co people coming, there are so many of them that they haven't taken the time to really learn about how to do it. So people were using uh, fires or setting fires and making fire rings in areas that um, were not meant to have fire rings in it because mm -hmm. it could be near dry brush. They were using it for pyrotechnic devices, which oh set up a larger you know, <laughs> forest fires. Sure. Uh, using it for all different purposes. And uh, dispersed camping. When, when you're a four-wheeler, you know very well, this is a dispersed camping spot. This is where I can camp. This is where I can't camp. And every all of us have maps. They're either online or available at their district ranger's office. New people heading out there, they didn't necessarily take those precautions or take the opportunity to learn. So they were using the land irresponsibly. And that did cause some man-made fires. And so for the Forest Service to take that step was extreme, but we have to support it because the public land is for all of us. We don't want to see our trails go up in smoke. We don't want to see them destroyed by fire. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to understand where that need was coming from. Uh, now the forests are have limited openings, so some campgrounds are still closed. Other roads are open, um, but I can't stress enough how important it is if you know somebody, there's a large listening office, if you know uh, audience, if you know someone who's going out there, encourage them to find out about how to be good stewards. Teach them. Tell them to look up on the Tread Lightly website. They have a ton of good information on there. Um, or talk to your local off-roader. There's we're we're down the block generally. The guy with the jeep or the, the <laughs> that's the, scary. The that's scary guy with a jeep in his driveway. Just go down and talk to him. He's all right. So um, yeah, exactly. when you said that they closed all the uh, all the forests, uh, it, it kind of made sense to me from from another aspect because at least in Oregon there was reports of people going out and setting fires purposely. And I thought to myself, well, how do you find somebody that's going, an arsonist that's going out there and setting fires? Well, you close it down to everybody else. So if anybody's out there that's not supposed to be, well, uh, they're potentially doing illegal stuff. And uh, that's the first thing that crossed my mind whenever you said it, it was unusual for them to shut them down. Uh, do you, I haven't heard anything in California, but I, I have to think that if it was happening in Oregon, that there was actually or arsonists in California setting these fires. All I can tell you is that there were an awful lot of fires. Most of them were dry lightning strikes, and some of the bigger fires actually uh, were not on public land, but in more um, urban areas or you know that crossover, which we call a WUI, which is a weird acronym, uh, Wildlife Urban 
Wildland Urban Interface. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> I just like, and I think WUI is kind of cool. WUI! It is. And, and it's a very common acronym you hear in conversations <laughs> with the Forest Service. And right now I'm on two Forest Service committees. Actually, Corva, of course, is in California, but we're now branched out. And we're on a committee for the Northwest Forest uh, Planning Revision Effort, which includes Washington, Oregon, and Southern California. So I'll be representing off-roaders for, for in all those states. Oh, wow. That's so great. We've expanded a little bit to the West Coast. It's, it's a little daunting. It's a lot of responsibility. I but uh, Well, I know, uh, I know Josh lives there in Oregon. We'll be happy to, uh, uh, to hear uh, that uh, you guys will be uh, helping support his area, too. Beautiful, place, uh, be- beautiful places to wheel up there, according to Josh, and I don't doubt it. A lot of stuff on the West Coast is, is so nice. Were you were you affected by the fires? I mean, obviously, I know there was smoke everywhere, but uh, everything okay with you and your personal uh, homestead and oh, uh, whatnot? You. Yeah, no, we're fine. Uh, we had moved. We had lived out in the country, and about two and a half years ago, we moved about fifteen minutes from the capital because I was there so often. Sure. But, you know, this is where everything happens. This is where the decisions are made. Whether it's state parks that we're working with. I'm about five minutes, maybe seven with traffic from the state office for the Bureau of Land Management. Um, and the Forest Service also has their headquarters are closer to the Bay Area and Vallejo, but they also have offices in Sacramento. So if you want to really be effective, this is where you have to be. So I guess yeah, it's a it's kind of a win-win thing, a win-loss thing, because it's being the country, especially in California, uh, has to be a wonderful thing. But now you're so close, so <laughs> you don't have to do all that traveling back and forth. I guess you can always go visit the country. I, we're still 45 minutes from the foothills or two hours from Lake Tahoe. It's that's not too bad. Yeah, that's not too yeah, bad. It's, it's not that far. So you, so you you mentioned something earlier. Actually, you mentioned it several times about the uh, 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 bringing up what was it? You uh, not not court case, not lawsuit. What had what? How did you say it? Well, we have numerous legal actions. Yeah, legal actions. Any, yeah, any time, and they take different um, forms. So the most recent one was a petition to the Department of Agriculture to rewrite or redefine the travel management rule travel management rule is a national rule that was um well it came out in about 2005 and little by little has affected all the forests in the united states some better did better plans than others but nothing in the rule made sense in the way it was implemented so we did a we submitted a petition to the Department of Agriculture, which a friend of mine, uh, Executive Director of Sierra Access Coalition, uh, Corky Lazzarino, um, in Quincy, California, little town in the Plumas National Forest. Uh, she and I rewrote the rule. And the first round, we were turned down, but now we're following through with a... Um, a more significant legal action to kind of force them to take a look and again, consider unintended consequences. Anytime you limit people's access, you're limiting access to their public lands. Sometimes the Department of Agriculture, um, different people who manage America's lands think they 
land belongs to them, but it really doesn't. And we're the ones who have to remind them that the land belongs <laughs> to us, to, to the, the people. Yeah, <laughs> the taxpayer. Yeah, damn it. Uh, yes, to so, the taxpayer, to all of us to enjoy. So every, so, so every time I heard you say lawsuit, I thought to myself, oh my God, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I was curious, uh, and, and, and if I'm going the wrong direction here or if it's none of my business, let me know. How do you guys pay for this stuff? How, how are you able to afford uh, to, to be there and do all these things? I'm sure you don't, uh, that, that your position's not a voluntary one. Uh, is, there, is this something that you guys uh, get money from the, the public indirectly through donations and stuff? Or how do you guys stay in business? We have incredibly loyal members and we have great, uh, people who donate to us and we have great business sponsors and it's really up to us as a people and I think I'm speaking for every organization out there whether it's in Colorado or whether it's on the East Coast that depends on, on the avid off-roader to support their organization so they can support the avid off-roader. So you have to sometimes spend money on what you love. We all spend money fixing up our vehicles. We love to spend money on our vehicles. Oh, yeah. Makes Spending us happy. just a, a portion of that in keeping organizations like Corva healthy and able to defend your rights is critically important. And if I look at the environmental organizations, um, they have no problem convincing people to, to give them money. They play on a fear tactic. We're losing everything or the poor animal. Is, I was going to say the bears. Oh, my God, the bears. Right. <laughs> the bears or the baby seals. And, you know, we can go into that. But the thing is, they receive money hand over fist where we're literally fighting for every dollar. And in our case as off-roaders, if we're not giving to the organization that you know is is protecting your rights, promoting off-road recreation, and working every day with government to make sure you have a place to go, then you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. So that's why, Tony, your generosity in giving me this opportunity to talk to people and explain, we really need you. We really need your the off-road support to Corva or whatever organization works for you in your area. Um, it is critical to get those donations in. Lawsuits are extraordinarily expensive. We're very, very careful about the attorneys that we use. Uh, and I, I like to say that we ask for special consideration. So our attorneys are off-roaders too. Either oh, nice. actual off-roaders or um, off-road. And they have off-roaders in their families. Yeah, one of our lobbyist is an off-road enthusiast, <laughs> so we work with people who are understand us. They are us. They are people, and that way, that when we're working with an attorney, there's a few steps you can go. You know, and, and you can go beyond, and you go, okay, you know who I am. You know what it feels like to be at the end and have people really disrespect what you do. And it's the only way to really put it because there's sort of a discrimination against motorized recreation that is seemingly allowable in this day and age that you can't get away with any other thing. But I've heard off-roaders being called names 
that are just unconscionable. It is, it's sad. And uh, children, uh, I've heard children referred to, uh, in this case, in one of our major battles in Oceano Dunes, is otherwise known as Pismo Beach, where we have a state vehicular recreation area, and they call them Valley Trash. Mm. These are children. Yeah. And because they come from the Central Valley of California, the people who were probably not native to Pismo area are looking down their noses at children who just want to go to the beach. Yeah, it's really a shame. Really simple. Yeah, it's a shame. You kids get off my yard or off my beach or whatever it is. Yeah, I know what you mean. So uh, let, let's circle back to the, uh, the the donations and stuff. Now, I would think that you guys, it, it's most likely that people in California that are going to be the don- the people that are donating the money, but but it doesn't have to be. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to uh, work up the courage or the, the money or the time off from work uh, to hit, hit the Rubicon Trail, well, Amy mentioned it earlier, the Rubicon Trail is in California, and wouldn't it be amazing if they shut down the Rubicon Trail? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but one of, the, one of the impediments to that happening is Corva. So even if you're not in California, there's a, there's a good likelihood that you're going to be going to California someday. It'd be really a shame if the trail was closed when you got there. It could be like Wally World, you know, when you do that whole big trip across the country and you get there and, sorry, it's closed. Uh, so uh, where, where can people go if they would like to uh, look into uh, donating? Or maybe they're just ready to donate now. Would it just be go to the site or how would they go about yeah, that? Just- Go to the site. It's www.corva.org, C-O-R-V-A.org, and there's a big donate button. You can't miss it. Uh, we're on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, Instagram is c.o.r.v.a, and it's pretty easy to find. But the easiest is the website. And people look at California as an experience. I mean, how many people come from all over the world to go to the Rubicon? Oh, yeah. um, a lot of them. And early on, between about 2010 up to 2014, 15, we worked very hard on Rubicon issues. And Corva was there every step of the way uh, supporting the Rubicon and making sure it would be open year-round. And we achieved that goal with a lot of help with a lot of people, specifically the Rubicon Trail Foundation and El Dorado County, where the Rubicon is largely located. But it was a lot of time. Um, that's why the support is so important. But if you haven't been to Johnson Valley, if you've seen maybe the videos from King of the Hammers. If you're an off-roader, you, you owe it to yourself to come to California. And, and really crawl in Johnson Valley. It's incredible views. It's unbelievable. And it's really difficult. You can find a difficulty level as hard as you want in Johnson Valley. It's there. Uh, more difficult than I would do, actually. And Tony, I think you would do. Because I've been on the trail with you. And you well, did great. It depends on but, whose vehicle it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. 
I'm a lot more timid on mine, the one I've been working on for so many years. I just I don't want to roll it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's beautiful. I was so so fortunate to be able to come out there uh, on uh, with Nexon's invite and uh, Don Alexander's invite, and it was uh, absolutely stunning. I can see how you guys put up with a lot of stuff, a lot of the political stuff that you put up with in California and the uh, uh, the shedding of things, shutting down of things, and everything. It's it was gorgeous. Never, I, I've seen things similar to it, but this the size of the rocks and the very variation on trees. It's gorgeous and. Uh, I just I want to get my wife out there and uh, let her uh, experience that as well. So I can I can well imagine there's a, a lot of California that I haven't seen, a lot of off road of California I haven't seen, and uh, you're very lucky to be there. And and certainly understandable why you fight so hard uh, to uh, allow other people to go out there and enjoy the experience themselves. Well, I love off roading and I love off roaders. These are my people. I have the ability to speak for them to give give a voice to their concerns. A lot of people get frustrated. I just get angry and I get quieter. <laughs> and that's always a little bit more dangerous. <laughs> and, you're thinking, you're planning. <laughs> you know, you learn how to deal in the political climate. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to change, what we've been able to do. There's a lot, there's a long way still to go. Uh, we understand that. But, we have to try. This is an incredible state with incredible beauty. It does not belong to the environmentalists. It belongs to all of us. Exactly. Exactly. And that is the way, that's the way everybody, and especially the ones that are in the political arena, they need to think about it. Uh, they work for us and uh, they need to do things best for the the people and and not necessarily the people right now and the people of the future so i know there has to be some planning and uh uh we we mentioned the fires uh what i don't know if if you care to go into this or not but how how much of a uh an effect on the fires do you think it was not having any forest management and cleaning up all the uh, the small shrubs and the trees that have fallen and everything else that have all this uh, kindling, so to speak, to uh, for the fires to start. Do you think that I would think that would affect the trails as well? Not just not doing uh, the the cleanup around uh, the trees or maybe trimming out trees. Uh, you know, I've been reading about uh, problems with uh, like forty years worth of of no cleaning up the forest. So now you have this situation where uh, lightning or arsonists or whatever. Uh, people sh shooting fireworks off when they shouldn't be, uh, that there's all this stuff that can catch fire. Is is that a realistic way of, of looking at what's going on in California with these fires? It's hard to blame the forest fires just on, on one issue. And I think the not cleaning up the forest has gotten a little bit more airtime than it actually should have. You know, we're talking about 18 forests very, very large areas. And the problems with management go back at least 40 or 50 years. And it has everything to do with um, kind of the Smokey the Bear policies, only you can prevent forest fires. Mm -hmm. But what that did also is that fire is a natural process. That's very true. Yeah, that is, that's very so true. So we have to let fires burn. And yet fire is very scary. And... People don't like to see it, but we have to allow the low-level fire to burn and clean out all that brush that you're talking about. And the Smokey the Bear policy, as we call it, 
sort of stopped that low-level fire from burning because every fire was considered a bad fire. Mm-hmm. That was just nationwide policy. Yeah, I was going to say, and and I know that's not specific to California. There was several no. states that I know had that no. issue. No, but then what exacerbated it uh, in the last, oh, go back about 30 years and logging policy started to change. So wood is a renewable resource. Now, sometimes we have a tendency to, in the United States to think in an all-or-nothing scenario. So we did clear-cutting for a while. Well, clear-cutting isn't necessarily good, but cutting appropriately and the amount of trees that can be replanted is a good thing. And yet people were so nervous about seeing clear-cutting, they immediately uh, said, no more, no more logging. We can't have logging anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that policy, again, was very, very short-sighted. So we had much less logging. We have overgrowth of trees. And then to top it off, we had a drought for about five years that really weakened a whole lot of trees in the forest that then made them susceptible to disease. So we had about six to eight million trees that were either dead or dying of uh, from bark beetle. Six to eight million trees can't be removed. It's impossible. You have to, you could do small sections because there isn't enough manpower mm. and there isn't enough money in the Forest Service to do the work. But the biggest secret, and this is what I don't tell a lot of people because it makes them really upset and understandably, 18 forests in California, and I don't remember the, ne- the exact number of acre, acreage, but it's a lot, um, only 25% of the total landmass in the national forests in California can actually be treated for fire or have prescribed burning or have um, what you're talking about, like mechanical thinning, Mm -hmm. which would include cleaning up the underbrush. Only 25% of the land, so say there's a million acres, you've got 250,000 acres, and that's all in the best possible circumstance that you can treat. And why is that so? It gets back to land use designations. It gets back to wilderness designations um, or other land use designations that preclude the opportunity for machinery to go in. Remember we talked about strollers and wheelchairs not being allowed in wilderness? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Can't do thinning either. Hmm. These are federal. This is federal. I was just going to say, so so this wasn't California. This is federal. So that's interesting. This is federal. So when you see the- very little forest that actually belongs to California, and California policy did not influence this. This was federal as a result of lawsuits, as a result of people not understanding. Um, This is why so much of our work is actually focused on the federal level as well, because these- are harmful policies sure like and yet un- unintended consequences is, is what the way you put it which right. i think covers and this there's also not enough money and just not enough manpower in this one agency if you think about a daunting task to clear six or eight million trees so we have a combination of issues uh, but i think the biggest part and again i get a little nerdy about this because i think about it all the time And this is for everyone to think about for themselves. The public's expectation of what forests are, what their purpose is, how they serve the American people, 
changed over time. When forests were established, uh, roughly 1905, um, the Forest Service was established. We looked at forests as working landscapes. They were meant to be to produce items. They're meant to produce lumber. Meant in some cases for mining or mineral extraction. They were there to serve the American people, not to be parks, but to be working landscapes. That's very specifically how Teddy Roosevelt, president at the time, uh, viewed the Forest Service and what their role was. Over time, that kind of changed. Then the expectation that the American people had, and whether it was led by environmental organizations or just a change in attitude in the federal government, is to treat forests more like parks. That's part of what changed. So the expectation yeah. of the public of what are we going to do with this land was not – now it's if you see a logging truck, people say, well, that's not what I want to see in my forest. I don't want to see a logging truck. I see a logging truck and I go, hooray, Absolutely. wonderful. Yeah, because uh, it's uh, something that uh, the trees, especially the ones that are – uh, have been. Uh, uh, I would think that even though a tree has been diseased, you can still cut it down, and there's still some useful purpose to it. Uh, and uh, it's just a shame to me that uh, that money that could be going into the the California coffers isn't going there, and uh, it 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 would help the forest. It just. I mean, I don't know. I, I would assume you guys do uh, animal management in California, where uh, you get yes. too many of one type of. Uh, animal and uh, you can do hunting and you can thin it out because it it's healthy for the herd and uh, people enjoy it and uh, enjoy the meat that they that they gather so it, it it seems to me that the same should be true for uh for forests to so go out there and and get the trees maybe i was actually thinking maybe you could do tags for trees you know you like here <laughs> you got a tag that pick your tree cut it down and haul it out so, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a shame. It's a shame that's the way it is. And it got that way through the political process. And, and perhaps mm -hmm. it, can, uh, it can get back to where it's more of a balance uh, between um, the, the need of the environmentalists and the need of the people. Uh, and, and I think Corva is uh, probably working towards it, at least from the trail standpoint, uh, getting people on and off the trail. Amy, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that you came back. We'll have to get you back on again. And uh, uh, stay away from those fires. My gosh, that's not a good thing. And inhaling all that smoke all the time is not a good thing. I know uh, uh, that uh, there's uh, been a lot of smoke in your area. Are the fires any better now? Or are, they, are things starting yes. to calm down? Good. Yeah. yeah, they're much better now, but they've taken out um, communities. And yeah, we can't underestimate our appreciation uh, for the firefighters, for the responders, uh, there are some incredible people working just extraordinary amount of time on these fires. And everyone in Corva, all of us in California, really appreciate all their hard work. And I, I know we have many members in the off-road community who are also fire personnel. Um, and they report back. And they're just they're working to do everything they can to save uh, structures, but more important to save people's homes, save mm -hmm. people's lives. And so we really appreciate that. Uh, but we cre helped create some of the political um, policies that cause these problems. We can change it. Right. And, and maybe I'm a little bit naive or maybe a little bit hopeful. 
but Corva's been working 50 years to do this, and we have an incredible track record. I'm very lucky to do what I do and work with some really incredible people. And um, if we all work together, I think we can make a real difference. Yeah, I, th I think so too. And that's what we need to do. I mean, there's so much dis uh, uh, decisiveness between uh, people's opinions these days. There's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with having a, a, a different opinion, but if you don't listen to the other opinion, well, you're not going to learn anything from it, and it, it and you may learn something in the process. Like uh, I, I just figured that uh, California did this to themselves by not uh, uh, properly handling the the forest, and you mentioned a few things that I didn't consider. So now I have a better understanding, and it's not just one sided. And that's the way we have to look at this. What's the balance? How can we make this that uh, all parties are not a hundred percent happy, but pretty much happy? <laughs> and everybody gets a little bit of something. That's that's what working together is. Well, and Amy, you're welcome in California whenever you want to come. <laughs> thank you. And Amy, thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, I want to tell you, don't wait to be invited. You got something to talk about, <laughs> let me know. And uh, we'll get you on. We, we, we try to do these interviews every week. And uh, always a great guest. And uh, enjoy speaking with you. Well, we didn't even go into Oceano Dunes, the fight for Oceano Dunes or the fight for Pismo. So that's got to be the next one. Absolutely. Because this is a fight for our lives. But I'll leave you with that teaser. Hey, we got to thank Amy Grenett for coming on back on the show. The last time she was on uh, the show was episode 397 as a while back. Uh, probably been that long because well, wow. it took a lot of guts after the last interview with Tony. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just kidding. We love having Amy on the show, especially when she starts talking about a future of more places to wheel. Well, hey, do you guys have an idea for a guest? Do you work in the off-road industry or know somebody who does? We would love to have you on the show or them on the show. Maybe you yourself would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show just to tell your own Jeep story. Everybody's got one. We want to hear yours. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now and share your idea for our next great guest. Hey, coming up next week, Paul Bruno, ooh, uh, last name I can pronounce, Jeep enthusiast, historian, and author. Hey, guys, it's me, DR, out here in Utah again, and you know how I love to win stuff. I, uh, I, I always need stuff. I've got Jeeps. I've got way too many Jeeps. I've got more than two Jeeps. That's way too many, and I've got way more than that. Anyways, uh... I have sprung Jeeps that have me springs on them, and I worry to death about them. And uh, uh, regardless, one way or the other, I, I'm going to get one of them kits to carry with that YJ that I got uh, and the CJ. That's two different kits, probably, two different size springs. Anyways, uh, we don't play with sway. And I've been listening to that. I should have finished listening to it last night when I downloaded it. I got home, though, and I went to bed. And uh, now, now I'm up again doing the same damn crap. Uh, should have finished it. You know me. I am the world's biggest procrastinator. And uh, I also had something else to comment on, but it was earlier in the show, and I cannot remember for <laughs> the life of me what it was, but I told myself, uh, well, I'm going to call in and put my two cents worth in because I love to put my two cents worth in. That's why I'm always broke. 
or wait, no, I'm always broke because I got too many Jeeps. Two Jeeps. <laughs> I maybe I don't know. I could find something to do with that two cents, so and I'm probably gonna call you back as soon as I can remember what it was that I was gonna comment <laughs> there. So oh boy. anyways, uh got my ticket in the hat, pull my number, man, or pull something. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, don't pull Tony's he wants, finger. He wants what, a giveaway yeah. and for us to pull something. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't start pulling fingers. Oh, good Lord. Exactly. Uh, oh, dear. Thanks, DR, for calling in. Uh, yeah, that what you're talking about, that spring sling, that leaf mm-hmm. spring uh, temporary repair kit from HellwigProducts.com. I didn't even know that existed, to be I honest. I didn't either. I thought that was uh, and, I, and I think so it's one of the coolest things ever. Uh, it's going to end up on our uh, must-have item of the week for your Jeep uh, in one of the shows here coming up in the near future. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where it's a really cool product. It's relatively inexpensive, uh, and, and it's one of those things where it's small enough that it can go into the OS bag and uh, into the recovery bag or something like that and really not take up a lot of space in, in a leaf-sprung Jeep. So, uh, really cool product, and, and you go need to go check it out for yourself. And I was just thinking from your uh, tech tip tonight, uh, the tech talk part uh, segment, you told everybody what size uh, leaf they need if it's an XJ. Do you recall what the, the width and for the YJs are? I get the feeling it's about I'm the same size. glad you asked, Tony, because <laughs> I don't have that answer. In oh, <laughs> thank you for playing Stump Josh. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was the you, same. Honestly, I thought it was it the, looks same. the same. It looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense that it would be, uh, but it's not a not a guarantee. But anyway, you can always go out there and, and measure your spring. I don't know we'll ask Travis uh, later in uh, Campfire Side Chat, and uh, I bet you he won't know either. <laughs> I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive. I'm about eighty five percent positive. It's it's a two and a half inch spring too. I think all Jeep uh, leaf springs were about the same. Travis, this is your old FSJ springs, but yeah. this is your five, ten, fifteen minute warning. Uh, you now have time to go out and uh, measure the width of your uh, leaf spring on your YJ <laughs> before we get <laughs> to you in campfire side chat. He's gonna come back. Two and five eight. He's, he's already yeah. He's already outside. You know, I can see him <laughs> no, on the I can see him on the Zoom meeting. He's already outside, so you might as well just go over there and measure it. Measure it. Oh dear. <laughs> Well, hey, speaking of things that we need to measure, how do your tires measure up? Nexen Tire received a review, and they measured up pretty dang good, at least according to Joey Buck. He gave his Nexen Tire Rodian MTX tires five stars after testing them on the Rubicon Trail. In his own words, Joey says, I I just wanted to tell you guys how impressed I am with the Nexen MTX tires. I won at Forest Fest in Big Bear this last summer. I took off my BF Goodrich KO2s and put on the Nexen tires and put them to the test on the historic Rubicon Trail for four days. I had never heard of Nexen tires before. I've always used the big name tires in the past, BFG, Nito, Mickey Thompson's, etc. I was a little apprehensive at first, not knowing anything about Nexen tires, but I wanted to give the more aggressive tread a little bit of a try. The Rubicon Trail was a good place to do that. My wife and I do a lot of hardcore wheeling on our Jeep. We've been on a lot of difficult trails too. That's what we built the Jeep for. These tires were absolutely awesome. From the slickest rock to sharp rocks, water crossings, wet tread, dry tread, these tires never lost their grip. They performed beyond our expectations. Wendy, I think this mirrors your and Bill's experiences with the Nexen Tire Rodian MTX tires as well. Sure does. You know, uh, I can agree with him. I had never heard of Nexen uh, before. Maybe I'd seen it. It just didn't uh, get into my psyche or whatever. And uh, I I never would have bought a set of Nexen tires 
uh, except I, I got invited out there to Gold Mountain, met Wendy and Bill and uh, Don Alexander. I knew Don Alexander before, but uh, first I got to, to meet him and Paul with Nexon Tires. And uh, I got to drive around on uh, the Nexon Tires, and it really impressed me. I mean, it was so simple. Uh, I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking about these huge, huge boulders, and it was just so simple to drive on all that stuff with uh, the very well-built uh, Jeeps with the Nexon uh, Rodian MTX tires. And uh, But listening to all the folks around there that had been up on that mountain, and uh, uh, like Wendy and Bill, and it was Joe, and actually Amy, the, the, our interviewee, was out there as well. And mm-hmm. yep, um, she was there too. Everybody was just so impressed with how well the Nexon hmm. tires worked. And uh, I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to put those to the test one day myself. My experience with Nexon yes. tires has always been a road tire, a street tire, yeah, uh, a company exactly. who, right. who really doesn't know anything about off road. They don't have anything in the off road category. That was until yeah. this this last year. And uh, and they came out with the Rodian MTX off-road uh, mud terrain tire, which so far has been really getting a lot of good reviews. Now, I myself, I haven't had any experience with them. I don't know. Um, I've had a fair amount of experience with other tires, in- including the uh, the big brands as well. Um, but uh, these Rodians, I just, I don't know, man. I, they certainly have an impressive tread pattern. Uh, but one of these days, I'm going to have to figure them out for myself. So maybe you are like me out there. Uh, your experience with Nexon is uh, strictly with the street tires. As far as your knowledge base goes with uh, with them and their history, uh, if you're willing to try these things out, well, the, the hosts here and, and a lot of other people, including our listeners, uh, swear by them now. So Actually, uh, all the, check them out for yourself. All the hosts, with the exception of you, Josh, uh, have uh, the Nexon Rodian tires now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was trying to uh, work up to this uh, uh, last week. But uh, you uh, had to shit on my point and uh, say there was no place for you to go wheeling because it was all burned. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go straight straight ahead. Now, uh, (laughs) I don't know uh, if uh, if I related this to you or not, but I have uh, on good authority that we have a set of Nexon tires for you. uh, The Rodian MTXs to put on your beloved uh, XJ. Uh, I can't wait for will, that review. You will need to paint it red. Temper paint is fine. No, yes, right. No. <laughs> there, there are stipulations. <laughs> yes. and, uh, no. Not necessarily, not necessarily from Nexon, but just from me. Right. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's part of it. Just, just take the, my don't word listen for it. Him, but the question I have for you is, and this is going to be a difficult question for you to answer, I'm sure. Is it going to yeah. be 33s or 35s? Now, they do make 37s. Oh. They do. <laughs> I don't have 60s yet. I don't. <laughs> no, it, it won't be 37s, uh, but that is a very good question. Uh, will I step up to 35s or will I stick with 33s? Uh, there is a lot that goes into answering that oh, question. Yeah. I, I think more yes, than, than what we have time for uh, here tonight. Yeah, but uh, we got to get you on some Nexons because uh, we got to tell the folks we need some firsthand accounts of what it's like uh, to, to wheel, and in your case, uh, in burned out areas, but nevertheless. Well, and here's the thing, is that I've got completely different terrain than exactly. all of you. Yes, you do. And, exactly. and there yes, is you do. nothing like the Oregon clay up, up here. No, um, it's going to be we've awesome. Got, we've got a test. fair amount of rocks and everything like that, nothing like the Rubicon. Uh, granted, we have our own uh, rock trails and rock gardens and stuff like that. I, I, I play plenty on the rocks, believe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they will definitely see a lot of, of rock crawling. Uh, but I'm really curious to see how they're going to do in, in the snotty peanut butter that is the yep. Oregon clay that we have up here. When the dirt up here in Oregon gets wet, it turns into unlike anything else anywhere in the nation. 
and uh, wow. and it is it is absolutely a a destroyer of traction. I don't care whether you're locked up front or back, uh, both what tires size you're running. Nobody can get traction in Oregon clay. Um, so and when it, especially when it gets layered over the rocks as you go up and down the trail, and other people are are depositing stuff from their tires onto the rocks, right. and this clay just creates this, like I said, snotty peanut butter over the top of all the rocks that you're trying to crawl on, it becomes impossible to keep your line. So uh, when we're, I'm hearing you know, reports of these things, you know, really grip wet or dry, I'm mm-hmm. going to be putting them to the test. I'm going to be putting them through their paces in conditions that they likely weren't ever designed for. Also too, and you guys uh, should already know this, especially you rat bastards out there, we don't pull any punches. We say it exactly the way it is. And, exactly. That's uh, why I've gotten so many strongly worded emails. <laughs> I told Paul, I said, Paul, we need to get some tires on, on Josh's Jeep. But, you know, you yeah. got to keep in mind, uh, he's he's been out on the trail a lot. He's going to say exactly mm-hmm. what he thinks. He goes, nope, that's great. That's what we want. Yep. We want that's people to know to exactly because they're they're very uh, they're very adamant about how well these tires are put together. And they still can't tell me how they came up with such a great tire on their first outing, uh, to, to making off road tires. It just it blew yeah. me away. Anyway, uh, so it doesn't. I guess it doesn't matter how. It just they are there. And uh, did I mention they're cheaper? I mean, I've been mm-hmm. buying BFGs Definitely ever since cheaper. I ever since I lifted my uh, my Jeep, and uh, my God, I think I saved five hundred dollars uh, buying a set of five of the Nexons, yep. same size as the BFGs I've been buying. So, uh, very very happy with them so far after uh, almost a year. Granted, I haven't driven the Jeep much in the last six months, but still, it's uh, it's a pleasure to drive. Should we uh, pause for a bathroom break? Let people get some uh, adult beverages or... Uh, <laughs> what, before the main event here? Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> Wait, what? Before this, uh, before this five-minute voicemail. <laughs> oh, my gosh. DR is excited. We love, hearing, we love hearing from you folks. And, I, you I know, I'm, DR, I'm making fun uh, because it's such a long voicemail. But it's great. We love it. Keep, keep calling in. And uh, the other folks well, call maybe in, Maybe just a few less times, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is literally two voicemails that I put into one. So that's the reason why it's uh, five minutes long. Here we go. Tony, Josh, it's BDR again. I uh, I had to go back through and start the Jeep Talk Show all over again. I that's did that great. several times. Another download. So <laughs> I can listen to all of you guys. I, I love listening to Tammy talk about shackles in the rear Things like that, but uh, no, it wasn't Tammy, or was it? I don't know. <laughs> Get back to with us. my wife sometimes. That's not good. Anyways, thank God my wife doesn't ever listen to the show. I've tried to get her to listen to it and <laughs> help her to become a better cheaper, but she just is not interested. And I remember though while I was listening to the show that uh, for the second time just the second time today. There'll be a third time coming along, too. Uh, that uh, what I was thinking about was when you were jump-starting somebody. It was in the battery series with Tech Talk. And uh, it brought back memories of uh, different things that I've done in the past. You know, being a truck driver and everything, I, I always have a pair of jumper cables on me and uh, well, with truck anyway, like I carry them in the Jeeps too. I don't know why, but I don't carry them in my pickup. And, 
uh, one of the things I, I used in my pickup one time, because I had a camper, a Flight 8 camper shell, and uh, I'm one of these guys that always stops for people on the side of the road. I just, you know, I, if I get a feeling that the guy's a serial killer or something like that, you know, I don't. That wouldn't be good, because I don't want to do that. Anyways, uh, I pulled over one time for this car that had the hood up. My wife was with me, and uh, I thought, well, i got to stop and help. i got to see what I can do, because I, you know, it's just the way I am. And uh, we pulled up behind this car and stopped, and out from behind the raised-up hood come this gal with these really, really daisy dude shorts and a halter wow. on that was, you know, needed some help real bad. And when I got that stare from my <laughs> wife, and I'm like, honey, I didn't see her before I stopped, did I? I wouldn't <laughs> stop just because she looked like that, just dressed this. like that. I stopped because While you're I in there. felt like there was somebody yeah. that needed some help, and she did. And uh, the problem she was having was a dead battery. And uh, I didn't have the jumper cables in the pickup that time, but I did have the wire that run back to my camper my sliding camper. So I went ahead and I pulled up next to her and I hooked that up to her battery. And I said, uh, we're not going to try to jumpstart it just yet. And I let it sit there and I charged it up for about 30 minutes. And then I told her, okay, we're going to try to start it now. And it's going to be really short, but start it. She did. It started and uh, almost melted the wire right in half. It was, a, it was a heavy gauge wire. I can't remember. But it, it, it was heavy enough to charge the battery in the trailer anyways. And, uh, and then another time, I, uh, well, I followed her all the way to the next town, made sure she made it, and got her into a gas station. And in the yeah, meantime, my wife talked to her, and her and my wife became really good friends, and we don't uh, ever talk to her again because we don't know who she is, what her name was, or anything else. <laughs> but it was okay. God. My wife understood. Another time, I had a cousin call me up with a in-law that was uh, dead in the water. It's like a whole book. I was whole in story. my semi-truck. I pulled up to them and uh, tried to get them jump-started. Well, I couldn't get to where I could get to my batteries on the truck with the jumper cables that I had. So there was a problem. And I thought, well, you know, all we got to do is make a connection. So I uh, went ahead and I run the battery cables. I split them up. And I hooked them together, ran them from the positive, and then I got one of my tow chains out, and I ran that over to his battery, and I said, all right, this is what we're going to hook to the negative, and uh, we'll just go ahead and try this, because it's just got to be grounded to the truck. And uh, we did that, and I told him, I said, okay, hold on to it, stretch it tight, and hopefully it worked. It did. I couldn't believe it. All them links together. It was probably about a 10 or 11 foot chain. But it worked. We grounded it. We got it going. Uh, love you guys this series, man. I, I love all the stories. I love all the tips. I love everything about the show. Definitely my favorite show to listen to. Uh, guys have a good day. Oh, my goodness. I was waiting for him to say, but that's not why I'm calling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that like Nikki G uh, does. I was waiting for the greetings and I was waiting for the greetings and salutations. 
<laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, that's a great, his, great story. I expected his wife to come in at the end. Are you still on that call? <laughs> Are you yeah. talking about that girl <laughs> in the halter tops and short pants again? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Daisy Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Daisy Dukes. Are you living the Jeep life? From mall crawlers to weekend warriors, from daily drivers to weekend wheelers, it's all about the Jeep life, and it's all good. It's time for Jeep Life with Jeep Mama. Hi, guys. I had a great time visiting my kids this past weekend. I ended up taking one of those puddle jumpers or puddle hoppers from the valley here in Colorado to Denver instead of driving my Jeep and parking it at the airport. Holy moly. That plane ride was scarier than Hell's Revenge. At one point, I thought we were going to crash into the mountains. It was like a roller coaster ride. However, on the way back, the plane ride was one of the best I have ever been on. Okay, on to Jeep life. So it seems the theme lately has been about being prepared when you hit the trails, being prepared by bringing the tools you may need while out wheeling on the trails. There are lists all over the internet for what you need to pack into your Jeep before you begin your off-road adventure. Recovery gear list, tool list, camping equipment lists. I have even done several videos on YouTube like my top five recovery gear, my top five tools, top five fluids, etc. But what have I actually used while out on those 4x4 trails? Well, we're going to start with the first time I broke my Jeep. I was wheeling at Roush Creek and slammed into a rock. My steering went wacko and I couldn't turn. Turns out I knocked my steering stabilizer. I was a little freaked out unnecessarily because I didn't realize at the time that you do not need your steering stabilizer. So the guys on the trail helped me take off the stabilizer and then when we got off the trail, we put it back on. The only tool we needed for this was an 18 millimeter wrench. For the JKs and the JKUs, this is a must-have tool in your toolbox. As I began wheeling more difficult trails, my recovery gear became super useful. Not for me, Tony, but for the others who needed a tow or a tot. <laughs> I have used my recovery strap, tree saver, D-ring, soft shackle, and snatch block quite often. My favorite being the soft shackle. And of course, I've been using my winch a lot. I used it several times on the Rubicon Trail. Okay, Tony, so yes, I used my winch once getting myself up over a waterfall in Arizona. I was super stuck. After a 59-point turn, I was between a rock and a rock. Wow. So we broke out my winch and winched me over that waterfall, which, by the way, was a dried-up waterfall. In Arizona, there's not a whole lot of water. So, pulling myself up over that waterfall, I needed to use two more tools, the high lift jack and a Colby valve. While I was winching up over that waterfall, I had tore my valve stem. The air started leaking from the tire and pop, I lost the bead. My Jeep was in a very precarious spot on the rocks and changing the tire was going to be extremely dangerous. Luckily, another Jeeper had a Colby valve, and it was a super quick, easy repair. Pull out the old valve stem and twist in the Colby valve. I now keep several of them in my Jeep. During my adventures with Neil and our shakedown runs with the Jeeps we flip, 
We have used different pry bars, ratchet straps, extra U-joint, a ratchet and sockets, and a BFH, a big effing hammer. Banging over those rocks plays havoc on those parts underneath your Jeep. Those ratchet straps can hold your Jeep together until you get it off the trail. The cool thing about the Jeep community is you may not have it all together, but together you will have it all. Don't get too crazy trying to pack everything in the kitchen sink into your Jeep. It's good to be prepared. You may not always use everything you bring and you may not have everything you need, but you may have things other Jeepers need and vice versa. Every time you go out, you will learn what works for you and your style of wheeling. Just prepare the best you can and grow on it each time. You can head over to my blog, jeepmama.com, that's J-E-E-P-M-O-M-M-A.com, and my YouTube channel. I have shared several videos and posts on things to bring with you on the trail. Next week on the Jeep Talk Show during Jeep Life with Jeep Mama, I will share the items I use while camping and the items that just sit in my bin or my Jeep and I never take out. Ooh. Yeah, that'll be interesting to know. It's kind of like yeah. the uh, Overlanders where uh, I remember talking to Dan Greck uh, and uh, asking him, what what did you take that you never used? You know, So I think he mm-hmm. used everything, but there were certain things that uh, didn't have a lot of uses. So it really reminds me, uh, Tammy's comment really reminds me of uh, like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, Josh, I think you're like me. You pack everything uh, that you think you may need for the next hundred years. Oh, I, you know, I was a Boy Scout, and and yep. so it was, you know, go prepared or be prepared rather. That's uh, getting uh, worn and and Boy Scout uh, of America mixed up there. Um, but uh, uh, and so I always overpack. I, I I take way more now. Okay, if I'm just going out for the afternoon and I'm not going to be on a weekend excursion or something like that, if I'm not going to be in deep in the rocks, I'm just going to do some light trail riding. I'm probably not going to bring a spare axle. You know, uh, axle shaft, uh, you know, um, I'm probably not going to bring a couple you joint. I'm probably not going to bring my entire toolkit. Uh, I might just bring the bag. I, you know, I, I, and so it's, it's one of those things where really the scope of the, uh, of the, of the trail, the scope of the adventure, the scope of the, of the trip that you're about to be on kind of determines the extent of what you bring. So, I mean, if I, again, if I'm just going out for the afternoon, I'm not bringing the same amount of gear and, and tools and, and stuff that I am if I'm going out for an entire weekend or a three-day trip or something like that. So, uh, I mean, I can kind of see some, some you know, uh, method of the madness behind that. I'm glad she brought up the, uh, the, uh, the ratchet straps, though. I've told the story a number of times about how I held, the, held my Jeep together uh, with a sheared-off track bar mount um, with ratchet straps. Uh, and, yep. and it was, thank God I had had them there at the time. And you ordinarily you think, well, ratchet straps, don't, that, that's for load. That's for, you know, gear. That's what you use to tie no. stuff down and keep it secure with. And, yeah. well, sure, that, that does serve its purpose, but you really want to make sure you've got like a half a dozen of these things on stock. Oh, yeah. Uh, really. Seriously, I'm not joking. One or two is not yeah. going to cut it. You need at least right. three or four. Well, not for a track uh, bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and so and and they will. I mean, those those instances where something shears off, something breaks, it can literally, like Tammy said, hold your Jeep together and get you home, or at least get you back down off of the trail where you can get a tow, or you know, back onto the trailer or or whatever it may be. So it, yeah, there's there's a lot of merit behind carrying a bunch of ratchet straps. Always a good idea. You know, I wonder uh, if uh, if you could use uh, how many ratchet straps you'd need to replace a, a spring sling from HellwigProducts.com. You put a whole leaf whole leaf spring together. <laughs> It'd take a lot more ratchet straps than three or four. Yeah. 
Well, how does Tammy's Jeep Life compare with your own? We're always looking for Jeep stories. You know this. So contact us and let us know what your Jeep life is like. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now and find out how to reach out. Maybe you've had a creative uh, use for a ratchet strap. We'd like to hear about it. Jeep related, please. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that, Josh, because I could see that going the wrong oh, way pretty quick. <laughs> Just a nick of time. Huh. We don't play with sway. It's Wednesday. I'm running a little behind on listening to the show. A little. But it's Travis. <laughs> Wanted to call in, and maybe I'm going to be one of the top five or lucky number seven. We don't play with sway is a great catchphrase, and I'm actually driving a YJ. Going to look into, I just forgot what it's called, Tony. Seriously? Yeah, that thing. Uh, look forward to the show tomorrow night. Good times, guys. Good times. Love the Jeep Talk Show. It's so simple. I had a problem with it, too. Spring sling. I mean, after being told about 10 times and editing it out of the uh, the interview, I finally remember it. Spring sling from hellwoodproducts.com. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's so funny uh, that uh, that that just impressed the hell out of me. I, th- I think that it was uh, surprising to our guests that it was like, really? We got these all these other sway bars and everything else, and you're interested in the spring sling? <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, it's well, neat that they have you know, something like two that. Two thirds of our listeners have coil sprung Jeeps, not right, leaf sprung true. Jeeps. And so, at least ones that they wheel. So, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the demographics. Can I show you my, my spring sling? Keep that thing in your. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> I thought you were going to say slower. <laughs> no, just keep it to yourself. You know, I, I held back whenever you mentioned Boy Scouts about, is that where you learn how to... The, yeah, the, the yeah thank you oh, for that. no. <laughs> you thought about it after you said it, didn't you? He, he did, another, yeah. He, no, did, <laughs> he didn't go there. He must He must be busy doing something. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> I, I haven't had to call any 800 numbers re- recently, so that's that. <laughs> Well, tonight yeah. uh, we've got uh, a number of people around the campfire. I'll always love seeing the listener oh, interaction, and, uh, and and each and every week we're we're doing this, uh, and each and every week uh, it's something different. And uh, and in fact, this week we've got a few different names around the campfire that uh, a couple of who I've actually uh, haven't seen before. Um, so this should be exciting as um, you know we go ahead and delve into different topics and and different points of conversation. Uh, each week, it's something something new and and uh, and different that we haven't done before. And so this week, uh, we pulled a topic out. Um, it actually came from a listener suggestion that we got here recently, um, and it was a, a, a not necessarily a debate, but maybe a conversation about aluminum versus steel armor. Uh, there's been a, a a big jump in in the popularity of aluminum armor uh, for Jeeps, and I know that that's almost like an oxymoron, kind of like jumbo shrimp uh, type of thing. You you wouldn't ordinarily think of armor and strength and aluminum uh, being synonymous with, with, with one another. But uh, with, you know, aircraft-grade aluminum and, and much denser alloys, uh, aluminum is becoming a, a, a viable option, at least in some people's minds, uh, for armor for the Jeeps. And, of course, there's always the tried and proven go-to steel uh, option, which uh, we know just plain and simply works. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, weight versus strength and which would you choose? Which would you like to have on your Jeep and uh, and some of the pros and cons and and some of the options out there and 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 what, you know, just kind of curious to see what other people around the nation and and uh, and different kinds of Jeepers uh, from different backgrounds will uh, will fall on this topic. 
Uh, and so we have a, a, a quite a big list tonight. And so I'm going to apologize in advance. There's going to be a couple people who are in the, uh, in the Zoom room tonight around the campfire uh, who will not get a chance to get to tonight. But they have uh, been on the show uh, a number of times before, so it won't be that big of a deal, I, I, I hope. Um, moving right into the list and getting into our listener comments, I want to see where Greg Levet Level falls. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that that last name right. Uh, Greg L. Uh, and see where you fall on the uh, on the steel armor versus aluminum. Which would you go with? And uh, and if you had your option and Druthers and and expense was no option, uh, which would you choose? Uh, I would go with steel. I think I like the uh, the idea that it being more durable. And uh, although you know you do have. Uh, issues with rust but the area that i'm at in the country i'm not uh susceptible to that so um i would go ahead and go with the steel just for that reason you know that is a a very valid point that you bring up and people uh jeepers living in the rust belt are all too aware of of just what the salt on the roads and what every single winter does to your jeep not just the body but you know every fastener and everything else that's attached to the jeep and and suddenly if you have the ability to put a, a large amount of another metal on the vehicle that is plain and simply not going to rust, uh, that becomes a very attractive option uh, versus having to touch up constantly and and always worry about, do I have any exposed metal that isn't painted or, or isn't protected? Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up, Greg. That's a, that's a very good point. Now, in the uh, in the chat room tonight around the campfire, uh, we actually have a familiar voice. Uh, and uh, uh, oddly enough, her uh, icon is even purple. Tammy has joined us this evening in our in our Zoom room, uh, and I'm curious to see where Tammy's going to fall on this uh, because she's had to put some armor through the paces. She's had to put her Jeep into a position where it's been ground and drug across the rocks and somewhat. So I'm curious to see where Tammy's going to fall on the type of armor that she would run on her Jeep. So I, I know our time is limited, and I'm just going to use a, just a little bit of my time, and I'm going to yield my time to Travis, if that's okay. All right. Thanks, Tammy. We really appreciate that. Now, moving right along. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, seriously, though, um, steel all the way, and except for aluminum radiators. Um, and now that I'm not in the rust belt, I would definitely say steel because um, it's amazing not being in the rust belt. Just, I, I love it. So can I yield the rest of my time to Travis and Chris? Oh, I suppose we can hear from Travis tonight. Travis, <laughs> where do you fall in the, ar in the, in the armor category as far as uh, steel versus uh, aluminum? Uh, which would you prefer? And especially if you didn't, uh, if you didn't have, uh, have to worry about cost. I'm going to go with steel. Uh, steel, I personally have seen it maintain, hold up, and be rugged. Um, Jeep night, pulling for help, charity event, a run. I had a girl drive up on my wheel as we're mounting each other, and she drives up on top of my fender, and my fender stands there solid, held her up. It was the most amazing, beautiful thing I've ever seen because it was a steel fender. Um, rust, I've got mine painted. You know, it came in bare steel. Immediately covered it, coated it. Got it all set in stone, and we're good. Years down the road, I might have to do that again. But functionality, form, it does cause weight. That is a big issue. Again, with my winch line, we're running, you know, I'm, I'm now running, I forgot what that's called, synthetic. There we go. I'm 
I might be drinking a little bit tonight. <laughs> I'm running synthetic. No. And no. you know, I you, think he's filibustering now. Well, you 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 cut weight where you can. And yeah. Hey, I was able to cut weight. But I love the steel winch line. I love steel fenders. I love. I'm gonna go steel. I'm gonna shut so, up, Travis. Let me give let me ask you really quick. That's doing I'm, the room. I'm, Travis, I'm going to ask you a really quick follow-up question because, you know, most uh, body fenders are already made out of steel, and, and I've seen fenders just plain and simply crumple. Uh, so I'm going to assume that when you're talking about um, the, you mounting this girl and, and her Jeep was on your, on her, uh, on your fender, um, that, uh, that this, uh, this fender is an aftermarket, maybe a tube fender or something like that to where it's, it's built a lot stronger than a factory fender would be. Am I right? Correct. Yes. I know that uh, there are other manufacturers out there who are, I think even, is it Metal Cloak that offers an aluminum uh, aluminum tube fender version? Um, but uh, it's, it's starting to become a lot more affordable. It's starting to become a lot, there's a lot more options out there as far as the aluminum armor goes. I personally have experience with a, a friend of mine who I wheel with on a semi-regular basis. Uh, he's got a, uh, uh, an LJ, or I'm sorry, not an LJ, a, uh, it is, yeah, it is an LJ, no. Yeah, they get me, it gets me confused between the JL and the LJ. Is it a TJ? No, it is the LJ. Thank you. I, yeah. I was getting all bass backwards there. It's my Listexia uh, chiming in there for you guys. Uh, so yeah, he's got an LJ, uh, you know, the longer TJ, if you will, and uh, um, he's got an aluminum belly pan, and and I've seen him just drag this Jeep over rocks left and right, and yes, that belly pan is just utterly cheese gratered up. I mean, it is just shredded. But you know what? His, the rest of his undercarriage is not. Right. And, and he has saved a massive amount of weight with his belly pan conversion uh, being aluminum versus steel. I mean, we're probably talking about a 100-pound difference here. Uh, maybe more. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, but in certain areas, I can definitely see legitimacy behind some um, uh, behind uh, the, an aluminum option versus a steel. Um, so, uh, Larry Holmes, uh, Jeep and Moe is what he's going by. Uh, where do you fall in this category? <laughs> um, would you, would you run aluminum armor if you had the, if you had your choice? Yeah. So you know, we've been at the Jeep game for about two years now. That's about it. So we put the, uh, Smitty built pans under it. And, uh, the main reason why I went aluminum is it seemed like everything I hang off this thing is a hundred pounds here, 50 pounds there. Trying to keep a little bit of weight off of it because I daily it and I'm in a rust belt. So the main pans are aluminum, but stuff like the uh, diff cover skids, those those were steel. But trying to yeah, keep a little go. bit of weight those, off this. Those points of impact. I mean, the unsprung weight, that's a little bit different. You're talking about the, the weight that's on the axle themselves. Uh, that is that's weight that's not hanging from the suspension or you know being supported by the suspension. And in that case, I, I think you went with a very smart choice, uh, going yeah. with the steel where it counts, because I mean that is that is low hanging fruit. Um, it is unsprung weight, so it doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, but at the same time, you want that strength and rigidity because um, even though uh, aluminum might be a, a softer metal, might be lighter, uh, might save you you know a few cents on the uh, on, on, at the gas pump. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when that diff uh, diff hits a rock or something like that. Uh, you want something with like a steel uh, barrier there that's going to resist that rock, and it's also going to have a little bit of a memory. So that if you have to pull that diff cover off and pound that dent out so that your gears will turn again, um, you're going to be left with a diff cover that's going to more or less have a memory of the shape that it used to have uh, versus aluminum. When it gets bent, it's bent, and it's that's the way it's right. going to be. 
Um, you can yeah, try and pound it out. Enough, it's, it's, yeah, there's enough bends and folds in that in that pan cover too that there's a lot of rigidity there, and it's backed up by the main support bars as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of beef there, even though it is aluminum. Yeah, so I'm, that's what I'm saying. I was like, aluminum definitely has uh, has it has its advantages and has its strengths too in in certain areas with certain applications. Uh, Sean from Oklahoma, uh, where do you where do you fall on the uh, steel versus aluminum? I say steel for the lower half of the Jeep, aluminum for the top. So steel sliders, steel rock guards, steel skid plates, bumpers. Um, I still have my plastic fenders. I've thought about going to steel fenders. If you hit a tree with a steel fender, it pushes into your Jeep. Plastic just crumbles. I mean, off. to me, it's, I don't know. Um, but, I, but, but I don't mind the look of what I have. I have the uh, Ace Engineering roof rack, and it is steel. It's quarter-inch thick steel uh, bent into a C-channel, and it, it holds like over 850 pounds. <laughs> there you go. If you would want that much weight on the top of your Jeep, you know, swaying down the road. But... Um, I'd stay aluminum on the roof rack, lighten it up, um, you know, still be able to haul 400 pounds, probably 500 pounds with a, with a good aluminum roof rack, and it would just save the weight. That's a really good point, and I, I'm glad you brought up the, the fender um, side of this thing, because, you know, you can, you can build a Jeep, I mean, fully out of titanium. I mean, there's, it's <laughs> just the hardest Jeep that there ever was, right? Uh, but there's still going to be a weak point, and you really got to really got to focus on where do you want the weak point of your jeep to be um and and you're looking at, at drivetrain weak points you know you want that weak point to be a u-joint something very easily replaced um you don't want that to be an axle shaft you don't want it to be your ring gear you know something like that you want the weak point in your uh in your drivetrain to be something that is easily accessible and easily replaceable and same thing with it goes with the body uh you want that crumpled zone as it were you want that that barrier between that tree and that rock and the rest of the tub of your Jeep. And, and so if you if you have something like fenders that are plastic, you know, uh, you know, bushwhackers or, you know, something along those lines, uh, and, and you get into a position to where suddenly the Jeep loses its line, you come down with vehicle weight against that fender, and bam, um, suddenly you've tacoed your your steel fender uh, or or bent it in such a way that now you've you've got you know misalignment in the hood or you know something like that. Um, you know, a lot of other issues. You want that crumple zone. And plastic or even aluminum in that case, uh, it will bend or it will crack or it will otherwise deform and, and protect the rest of the vehicle uh, for, from damage, even though it itself has been damaged. So very good points there. Very good points. Uh, let's see. Who do we get that? Nathan, uh, where do you stand on the strength um, you know, versus weight, uh, aluminum versus steel armor debate? Isn't responding. Um, I'd say for most Jeeps, I would definitely say aluminum. Um but for personally for me, uh, with having an LJ, um, the aluminum options are very limited and fit and finish, not great. The steel counterparts seem to be a lot better. It's a lot easier to fix on the trail since, you know, aluminum generally tends to shred or yeah. tear Good versus point. bend. Um, so personally, I'll go with steel. It's easier to fix. Um, a lot of my guys have uh, welders as well. You can't really weld aluminum on the trail. So I'll go steel. 100% agree. That is an extremely good point. Trail repairs. It is a lot harder to do any kind of a trail repair with an aluminum fill in the blank uh, than it is its steel counterpart. 
Um, and and that's, a, that's a very good point, Nathan. You can weld steel on the trail. We've talked about how to, how to you know, fab together a, a trail side welder using a couple batteries, jumper cables, vice grips, and a welding rod. I mean, that's li- literally all that you need to weld something back together. Um, and you can't do that with aluminum on the side of the trail. Now, that being said, you know, maybe aluminum is a better option for somebody who's uh, into more overlanding. Uh, or, or maybe just all the wheel is, is the sand, uh, something like that. Um, that type of Jeep would very much benefit from aluminum armor versus steel uh, because they don't need the extra weight. They don't need the extra rigidity. They're not playing in the rocks. They're not uh, really worrying about you know, massive impacts and a lot of vehicle weight coming down on a sharp object, uh, something like that. It, you know, they're, they're just out playing around, and they're really not in harm's way. And so, you know, you can get the rigidity, you can get the looks, you can get extra protection and not have to sacrifice a lot of miles per gallon or a bunch of weight on the vehicle and alter the vehicle's center of gravity uh, and, and things like that. All points of consideration that you got to take into account when you start talking about armoring up your Jeep, you know, quarter panels, uh, you know, door armor, uh, aftermarket fenders, winch bumpers, rear tire carriers, you know, all the sort of stuff, roof racks, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, and so really, I mean, anytime you get into even a bracket, uh, whether you're adding lights and stuff, you got to think about, okay, is this bracket going to weigh a pound or is it going to weigh three pounds? Um, and, and do you want to put that weight on the top of the Jeep or, or don't you? Um, and of course, this goes all the way down to armor, bumpers, and everything else. So I really can't thank all of our listeners enough for chiming in on this topic to, this week. And we're doing a different topic each and every week. Uh, I encourage you guys to, to join in on the fun. We do this every week. And, and, and how you would do that uh, would be to join our Zoom meeting. Uh, that we uh, that we put out, and we, you can find that invitation. Uh, the best way to do that would be to subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Facebook, uh, just any any number of our social media aspects. You can uh, get the get the release where we put out the information, send out that link where you guys can join in on the campfireside chat. And we surely love to have you for next week's topic. Uh, what that will be? Well, you're going to have to subscribe to the newsletter to find out early. Uh, until next week, we want you to join the Campfire Side Chat. Follow us on Facebook or receive notifications via our newsletter. We talked about that. It's very easy to sign up for our newsletter. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com contact. You'll find a link there. You can click and sign up. It's very easy, and it's even easier to unsubscribe. Uh, it's, we're not going to spam you. We're not going to send you a bunch of stuff. It's literally just a once-a-week newsletter. That's it, everybody. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks to our uh, co-host. I didn't really, uh, really kind of talk to our co-host much about the armor, but we are running a little bit out of time oh, yeah. uh, with talking to all of our listeners. Uh, so um, until next week, that is the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure you are subscribed uh, to our Facebook page so you can get all of the, uh, the good stuff that we're putting out through social media. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Dig it from personal experience, people. Mm. Mexican food and scotch, not a good combination. Podcasting <laughs> <laughs> oh, since 2010.